Jen, Jen, Jen. Are you ready? Are you, should we start? Yeah. Uh, welcome, everyone, to the Ribbon Book Club, a Dear America podcast. I'm Jen. And I'm Kate. And we are here finishing up, hopefully. We're talking about the second half of Journey to the New World, the diary of Remember Patience Whipple, <laughs> the first book in the Dear America series. Uh, a brief recap of last time. Uh, they're on a ship. They're on a ship for a very long time. Uh, her friend dies. Because why not? That's, that's a good way to start out a series strong. Is- I mean they're not they're not messing around with these kids like no. the audience that this was written for eventually becomes 9-11 babies oh my gosh 100 <laughs> percent. you're right yeah this is bringing the same energy as uh meet kirsten uh from the uh, american girl doll books uh her friend dies of cholera yeah. on the ship there's a lot of Did that you just shake your head at me I as if to indicate that you... any of the wow the reason that i never read these books wow. is because i shooed all things girly yeah we've and- talk about this exactly so i never read any of the american girl doll books the only thing that got me interested in american girl was when i got their cookbooks yeah i really enjoy historic cookery oh because that's not girly at all yeah i was like 12 when i finally got into it but like i missed this eight-year-old stuff because i was busy Mm -hmm. with tonka trucks and rc cars wow i was I was fully a doll girl, which is to say that uh, I am the target audience for the new Barbie movie. Um, and I'm very excited. <laughs> very excited. I for definitely that to, did not. I own two Barbies. Uh-huh. One of them is a sporty spice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the other one is uh, just a doll I bought while I was at FAO Schwartz in New York City. I was 16. Wow. That was the very first you Barbie fancy. I ever owned. Well, you have to buy something. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're FAO Schwartz, and they're like, what kind of toy do you want? And I was like, well, I never had a Barbie. So I bought like a fairy Barbie. She had like wings that flapped. She was blue. Gay. Sorry. A little bit. <laughs> no, okay. You're going to get us canceled, Jeffrey. <laughs> we, we love the gays here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> that was, I'm digging myself into a hole. Right. Let's begin. Jesus, squeeze us. Um, so I have here written down, they where we left off was they just saw land. They just saw land and they're like, finally, finally all our troubles are over. Famous last words. Um, so yeah, they, they are in Cape Cod Bay, uh, which is a whole peninsula. Uh, <laughs> not a city um and they meant to go to i think new york they said northern virginia but as we've discussed that's right. a whole northern virginia was a whole territory whole territory they were for the dutch because remember they were familiar with the dutch yeah so oh. they were shooting for the dutch territories that would become new amsterdam yeah or new york city new york. yeah and i wrote here you ever get so lost you just think to yourself i guess i live here now yeah um i haven't uh, no no i just push on okay like like well figure it out yeah okay well these people uh they decided this is good enough so i think if i were trapped on a boat for this long with mm-hmm. people who were this contentious and ultimately quite nasty i think the first time i saw land i would just jump off the side of the boat and say yeah. sayonara i could not handle what she is going through mm-hmm. i there is no way i would be diddle ling around good cover on this boat uh trying 
you know, not to effectively murder these people because yeah. they're all on top of each other and they're getting ugly with one another because they're, they've got cabin fever, which a note to our wonderful editor, Danny, this is a great opportunity to use the song cabin fever from Muppet treasure Island. We all the little rats we singing. We can't afford that. Oh, okay. That's probably true. <laughs> but still these people seem to have cabin fever and they're just bored and they're not sure what they're looking for. I, those are all things I hate. I do not handle boredom. Well, I really, really do not handle not having a plan yeah um, well and they get here november 9th right quite cold <laughs> november 9th in new england yeah is maybe the worst time to be starting from scratch yeah so they get there um this is not northern virginia um the hudson river is nowhere near <laughs> and so they just think well we'll do we'll deal with this um and they just kind of like stay in the boat for the time being because they're not really sure where. Just looking at land. Just looking at land. Just being mildly there seasick and looking at land. However, on November 10th, this mm -hmm. is when she has one of my favorite interactions in the book. Uh-huh. Um, she comes in contact with a whale. There's I was going to say, if it's not the whale, then it's definitely the whale. Um, and I think it's appropriate because the area of New England that they're in, Cape Cod, mm -hmm. um, whaling in the following centuries would become one of the most massive businesses and be like a huge part of what becomes America. Mm -hmm. uh, capitalism. Capitalism. <laughs> Vicious capitalism. Yeah, yeah. I I wrote yes whale as a reference to the classic Taylor Swift Instagram. Oh, <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. This was this is the Tom Hiddleston era. Um, and okay, so they're they're there. The weather is cold. What I I oh yes, we I I um highlighted a quote that is a uh, our for, uh, an early hint of somewhat problematic language um there is of course much talk of feathered men miles standish and elder brewster spend a considerable amount of time planning for the defenses against them um and i just wrote a, a quote from pocahontas these white men are dangerous because <laughs> <laughs> that's what's going on on the other side um so. absolutely ridiculous mm -hmm. yeah it's well but she's like she's excited about it i don't know this is my first not first this is like what i was thinking about was like how how do you write a diary from a young white europeans perspective right who's without never... problematic content you yeah although what i think they i think how they balance that well is with mem's curiosity mm -hmm. all of the adults are so sure that you know these feathered men are dangerous mm -hmm. whereas mem just wants to see one and and understand and um you know, when she eventually does have the opportunity to meet somebody face to face who's from a different culture, mm -hmm. her first instinct is to give them cake. Yeah. Or pudding. Right. Well, right. By balancing that attitude with curiosity, it gives Mem the opportunity to be gentle. Where yeah. A lot of the adults in her world who have already made up their minds are 
they're the white men who are dangerous. Yeah. Um, I also think there's, here's a great opportunity for my niche interest. If mm-hmm. you got to work on a little Taylor Swift, I'm going to put in some Ted Lasso. Oh, please. Ted Lasso, there's this wonderful monologue and action scene where Ted takes down uh, Rupert Grint from Buffy the Vampire Slayer uh, oh. with a game of darts. <laughs> oh, wait, did I say the wrong Rupert? Yes. Which Rupert do I want? Rupert... You're- who is Giles? Rupert Giles Rupert is Giles. the character's name in Buffy. You said Ron Weasley. Well, there you go. Uh, in real life, I can't I was remember. like, Ted Lasso takes on Ron Weasley. <laughs> no, definitely uh, Giles from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. His first name is Rupert, but I can't remember what his last name is. Anthony Stewart Head is the oh, name you're thinking Oh, not of. even close. I That's why I said Rupert even... Giles is his name is in his Buffy. Name? Is that what my brain's doing? Listen, yeah. I had a stroke. Uh, anyway, uh, so during this scene where they're competitively playing darts, um, he has challenged uh, the guy who is Giles uh, to this game of darts um, in order to save his boss yeah. uh, from having an ugly encounter. And the boss thinks he's got Ted Lasso on his back heels. He like brings out this like competitors, like Olympic quality darts, Mm -hmm. whatever. And he puts up his points and Ted's like, that's great. But what you should have been was curious because Mm. if you'd asked me, I would have said that I played darts every Sunday with my father until I was 16. That was the best it was so great and, and the whole thesis of that monologue is be curious not judgmental yeah and that's what mem is doing here so i think that's one of the ways that um you know you could write of this time period or any time period where there is colonization and power struggle it the does are um uh, first of all thank you for introducing our new podcast within a podcast ted talk where we talk about ted lasso <laughs> can we please talk about ted lasso every <laughs> single day um Yes, I think that's uh, a very good way to go about it in a more kind of innocent way. Um, I think you could push back against that by saying by framing it in a child's perspective, you are kind of removing some of the uh, responsibility, culpability of colonization. I agree. I absolutely agree. That's in later books, not this series, but the Little House series. Uh huh. Uh, we see the point of view character, Laura Ingalls Wilder. Yeah. Um, she sort of shifts from having that innocence uh, in tarot. We call it innocence that protects. It's the fool card. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shifts from that to being a position of adult judgmentalism and mm-hmm. fear. Um, and I think that that is one of the reasons that the Little House books get more pushback. Mm-hmm. Um this innocence this uh it's just a lot more palpable these days yeah all right interesting so um they are just hanging out (laughs) hanging out on the boat um getting getting real angry and then there's like a brief mention of a very important document i mean almost in hindsight i'm sorry what page have you got dear i'm on page 51 oh okay um, the Mayflower Compact is mentioned almost as like a, like, oh, yeah, um, God bless Master Bradford. He has drawn the men into a into accord. They have signed a form called a compact, the Mayflower Compact, uh, in which it is agreed that all the people, saints and strangers alike, shall combine into one body or company and submit to one government with a governor to be chosen. 
And th- then they went on and chose John Carver for the governor. I do not know why they did not choose Bradford, but Car- Carver is a good man. <laughs> so William Bradford is the subject of the first couple chapters of Nathaniel Philbrick's Mayflower. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that is discussed uh, in Sarah Vowell's The Wordy Shipmates is how this Mayflower compact became one of the uh, pillars that our governmental our governmental contracts like the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence were drawn off of uh, because the wordy shipmates, the pilgrims, uh, as we generally think of them, were so prolific in their writing. It was something for girls and boys. Um, and it was considered to be very important to be highly educated so that you could take in the word of God. Uh, so that's why we have so many documents, including the Mayflower Compact, uh, that are full of, you know, these high philosophies from which we can draw the rest of what has become rule of law in the United States. Hmm. Yeah. That's, that's an, I, no, that's going to turn into a whole different tangent. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, there's a lot. There's so much. I mean, like, listen, it is very fair to criticize the United States government and even rule of law. Like rule of law sounds very lofty, mm. um, but it relies on conservatism and stodgyism and never changing. Mm. It's hard to change laws and it's hard to change. That's why we are still burdened with pilgrim. You know, the pilgrims were a culture, a cult culture that were based in this very small part of America, um, you know, 400 years ago, but we are still feeling the echoes of those cultures and we are burdened with their values today. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That if there's a, a really good book and like cultural theory that, um, the, the cult, there's like different cultures in the United States called the 11 nations theory where, um, Culturally, you can break up the United States in into 11, 11 different territories. And so the New England Territory is this very uh, pilgrim, um, Protestant work ethic, uh, very highly educated kind of culture. Yeah, it's, it's if you are interested in this theory at all, um, I think it provides a lot of insight and context into the different region, regional cultures of the United States. And yes, we do have a lot of different cultures in this one nation. Um, so it's it, it provides some good context to like people's worldviews and how they're different depending yeah. on where depending on where you're from and Mm -hmm. a lot of you know a lot of america is dismissed as flyover territory Mm -hmm. but really that makes up frequently the dominant aspects of some of what we consider american culture generally Mm -hmm. uh it's it's we say that is fascinating uh uh, almost lifelong uh residents of flyover territories yeah i'm allowed to say that yeah Okay. Anyway, so they're waiting. They 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 form the Mayflower contact contract. Um, they they get cabin fever hardcore. Do you mind if I briefly discuss something on page fifty three as we progress? Of course. There is one cha- uh, chapter. There's one paragraph that I thought was very interesting. Um, and again, it's almost a side conversation. Um, so she's talking to Imp. And she's talking about the wood. Imp that is her... the name of the diary. Yes, impatient. Um, so she's talking about how her father brought her back wood from land, which I thought was uh, really an excellent um, comparison, you know, side by side, parallel is the word I want, uh, to the biblical story of Noah and the Ark. 
Mm. Um, the olive branch. The olive branch that the dove brings. But instead, she brings all sorts of wood. He brings all sorts of wood, including juniper, sassafras, walnut, and oak, uh, which are all massive American trees. Um, and he talks. she talks about how they were able to make it easy to walk through the forest because there wasn't much undergrowth mm-hmm. underneath the trees. That was on purpose. Yeah. Native Americans maintenance to the woods to be, you know, producing of crop. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when she talks about, oh, there's not much undergrowth, that's not like some sort of like American miracle. That's because people who had been living on that land with intention kept it that way. Yeah. Uh, and they all got to benefit from it. That's why they were able to take down so many trees right away mm-hmm. uh, because they had access to them instead of having massive swampy undergrowth. Yeah. There's a lot of that actually in in other sources, like primary sources as well, of uh, Europeans coming to uh, North America and being like, wow, the forests are like so nice. And wow, there's this like abandoned village and w- look at all these crops. And well, they we just... still benefit from that today. Yeah. You know, what is the thing that America does best is our national parks. Mm-hmm. All we're doing is inheriting uh, the, you know, crop placement of peoples who lived here indigenously hundreds of years ago yes yeah and and still live today which a lot of people don't know a lot of my second graders did not know that native americans still existed uh they thought that they were extinct like the dinosaurs oh that is a huge problem in how uh the history of native americans is taught yeah they exist uh, at this time and they uh, they kind of are phased out uh, after the Trail of Tears. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Which we tried to actually phase them out of existence. <laughs> phase them out is a nice way to say that. <laughs> it's a it's a he- just faded to black on it's their a culture. euphemism that's doing a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah. Um, and yeah, no, they definitely still exist. Uh, look up, you know, there's definitely there's a lot of resources out there to look up what uh, tribes are indigenous to where you live. Um, we are reporting to you live from Odawa land. Yes. Miigwech. That and, means thank you in Odawa. Oh. Uh, yeah, so do that research. Um, we, this is all ancestral native land, <laughs> not American. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they, they realize, like, wow, the forests are really well taken care of. Um, I think later they mention um, crops, which um, I don't know if they were doing that. They were growing a lot of corn in this Thank area. you for bringing that up. Yeah. Um, I'm on page 65, right. uh, progressing into 66, uh, where father and the men come back and they have found a lot of corn, mm-hmm. which they say finding corn is a, spe- is a sign of the special providence of God. Okay, so I have two things to say there. One, I wrote in my book, cult, you're in a cult. But Sarah Vowell brought up a very it's interesting... It's like uh, you don't work at a church place. Almost, because yeah, that, those kinds of lines don't knock me at all. <laughs> really, it didn't even occur to you? No, I mean, I know, like, this is a deeply religious group, so like, of course, yes. everything's going to be tied back and to God's. Admittedly, providence. this is probably a little pet project of mine. Mm-hmm. I am not a fan of organized religion. I don't think you necessarily are either. I no. understand your job, um, but it bugs me, mm-hmm. and the, it bugs me. <laughs> I think there is much to criticize about the institutional church. I think uh, I just I understand going into it that this is like basically their whole deal is religion. And so and I'm very familiar with the way um, 
that can affect your entire worldview. And so you, it is just the way you talk. It is the way you relate to everything in the world. And so that's, that's the filter that's being, you know, everything is going through. So Sarah Vowell brought up a very interesting point in her book, The Wordy Shipmates, which, uh, when she's touching on this particular shipping of people, uh, the Mayflower, uh, and how um, in the years before they landed in this area, there had been a massive smallpox epidemic that killed something like 93% of the Native Americans who lived there. When that was reported back to the saints in England, uh, and even their arch nemesis, uh, King... James, James the first. first, thank you. Even King James the first wrote how the killing of these Native Americans uh, is a sign that God is with them. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Again, and, and remember, this guy is the enemy, and and uh, the saints called him um, the king who's in league with the whore of Babylon, mm-hmm. which to which that's how they referred to the Pope. Ooh. Yeah, and King James the first historically quite gay and not a big fan of the oh yeah super gay uh that's how he he's there's a yes fascinating we'll talk more later right so there's nine-year-olds who listen to this uh so i'm trying to can it oh uh i don't even think we should leave in the part about the horror babylon uh, so I'm going to take you it gotta again. learn about you've got to learn about the horror of Babylon sometime. Might as well be now. Okay. Well, listen. This she's... one goes out to all of our metal uh, and and goth uh, listeners who are children. Here's to you. Here's to you. <laughs> um, so, anyways, I just thought that was very very interesting that even their arch nemesis has this same filter, this religious filter about the bounty of God being provided for them through the cruelty of other people. Well, you know, this corn was planted. You know, it's going to unite um, the pilgrims and James the first. It's their whiteness. Yeah. In the end, that's truly what will keep people together and apart. Um, I did also find on this same page a very interesting description of a basket made of crab shells. Mm, And I was super hoping that we could find evidence. I I assume the author did research and saw that. Yeah. Because it seems fanciful and made up, something that wouldn't happen, really. But I'm prepared to be wrong. And so... I would. I was hoping we could find uh, evidence of that real artifact to support what the author is. I'm sure here. that there is, um, if not like surviving from that period, it's probably a tradition that's carried on. It's very cool. Um, I'm not going to look it up right now. Yeah, no, not the time. <laughs> I should have. I should have reviewed ahead of time. That's all. I just wanted to talk, touch on those two subjects. Yeah, I. I think it is clear that um, Catherine Lasky, the the author, did put a lot of. Like I feel like Catherine research. Lasky and Diana Gableden can be BFFs. Oh yeah, like they are research, and I love it for them. Yeah, research, which is short for. <laughs> so speaking of things we shouldn't talk to kids about, um, on page seventy we have the suggestion of a suicide, which I found very surprising for a yeah. children's book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things start to take a turn. I would say actually around uh, page sixty-eight, um, not page sixty-nine. <laughs> What's 69 mean? It's the number that comes after 68, but before 70, which is where I am. Yeah. So I'm on page 68. Um, and Mem writes, 
<laughs> What's so funny, Jen? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Um, so it's it's working on early December right now. And uh, Mem writes, there are many colds and coughs. I wor- worry about Mem. Um, she looked peaked and I hear a burr in her chest when she coughs. And I wrote, uh, this is this might ruin movies and TV for people, but uh, nobody ever coughs and lives yeah <laughs> and Ugh. in fiction uh, <laughs> there every single cough is purposeful yes. and so if you ever uh, there is some yeah. principle in writing plot something 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 gun oh Chekhov's gun Chekhov's gun yeah so where this if you see Chekhov's a gun cough. it has to be used exactly um so this is where things kind of start to uh start to take a turn yes so on page 70 which is the page after 69 yeah this is again continuing that turn um a terrible accident has happened dorothy bradford who was the wife of william bradford as i recall she lost remember she lost her son earlier in the book yeah um her is dorothy bradford is dead her body was pulled from the water shortly before midnight on december 7th she slipped on the ice glazed upper deck and went over and what is the worst is that i perhaps could have helped her had i been more alert for i too was on the upper deck now it suggests subtly to adult readers i do not think children are necessarily intended to pick up on what's happening because our author or author the speaking voice our point of view character doesn't seem to pick up on what's happening but one of the things that adults will wonder about and maybe children will too uh in the case of um a found suicide is could I have somehow helped this person? Could I have made a difference? Mm -hmm. So Mem is going through those wonderings herself while maybe not fully understanding what's happening here. Mm -hmm. Um, A suicide is a very big deal, especially for Puritans who believe that if you commit suicide, you cannot go to heaven because you've turned down the gift of life. uh, I mean, Catholics believe that too. That's why Catholics won't bury... Uh, someone who died by suicide in a catholic cemetery it's also why if you commit suicide you won't get insurance payouts it you you don't get life insurance in america i mean that's for a different reason a more pragmatic like money reason (laughs) those pragmatic money reasons come from a culture built here yes but it's also why if you murder your wife you don't get her insurance money it's like frequently you, you can't cheat the system <laughs> right. if you get caught exactly <laughs> so anyway um we talk a little bit about dorothy bradford and her dear dire slippage um mm-hmm. but really that seems pretty clearly a suicide um the subject i have not gotten to that part in the mayflower book um but hopefully it is more widely talked about yeah um they uh, moving on yeah. <laughs> we're already december 13th yeah they talk about uh they send people scouting out on a shallop which is a, a small boat like a rowboat which previously they'd been well, using it's for slightly a bigger than a rowboat but it's like imagine like a smaller sailboat cool i'm glad That's, you knew that because i was just sail. picturing a row it's a rowing boat i think there's a picture in the back actually hmm. or maybe i looked it up anyway it's like it's like multiple oars. Imagine like a lifeboat. Yeah. Okay. So. Is anyone alive out there? Exactly. Can anyone <laughs> Can hear, anybody hear me? me? We'll get to that um, in a much later episode. 
So they're going out in a shallop to look for a place to settle because they don't like the, the outside edge of Cape Cod. It's quite rocky. They yeah. Be, it's not a very fertile place for crops is what they're concluding. Yeah. They find, uh, quote, Indian dwellings, but no Indians, which is, uh, again, another hint at this epidemic that swept through um, the continent before the Puritans arrived. And it's like very convenient for them and they don't question it. But yeah, if, there's a great book, 1491, that talks about um, what North America was like before European contact. And um, it's fascinating. there was a lot of people here. <laughs> and so, people. yeah, and then that whole epidemic went through and then suddenly, you know, the pilgrims come and they're thinking, oh, this place is empty. It's not. How convenient for us. And it's a lot more empty. I mean, like something like 98% of the population was killed off. Shocking. So, yeah. So that happens. Um, I think they do. Oh, yeah. They, it goes on. Uh, they did make contact. Uh, they made their camp, but were wary for they felt the presence of the Indians about even if they could not see them. Their camp was near the beach where the shallop with the other men had now put in. Uh, on toward morning, when they were making their way down to that beach, arrows suddenly came raining down upon them. At last, Miles Standish's worst fears were realized. Most of the men... Da, 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 da. Yeah, so they, they get attacked, and then they pull out their guns, blah, 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 Pocahontas. <laughs> Just so many shades of that. Um... Oh, their father um, calls them uh, valiant and lusty, the, the Native what? Americans. <laughs> but that actually not. gets to a good point. Um, there are a lot of firsthand accounts where, despite being afraid of the indigenous people, they are also impressed by them. Um, and not in a, well, a little bit in a patronizing, like, wow, they can do anything without guns. Um, but also in a, like... I'm surprised that people without our, you know, European culture could have such a great system and they're like really strong and really healthy looking and they well, and they go the on and on about how good they smell and how like how healthy and, and like the, the color of their skin looks so like vibrant and healthy. Yeah. Um, so that was one thing that was widely remarked upon between the fur traders, which is my special interest, yeah. uh, and the Native Americans that they worked with. The Native Americans were better hunters because the animals could not smell them coming. Yeah. The French especially... Uh, and Jen, I'm sure we'll talk more oh, about bathing culture. Oh, we'll get culture. to that. There's a mention of that. You're right. Later. So yeah, uh, white people really stank at this point period in history. Oh, um, and also we're obsessed with sugar and had rotting teeth. That's my special interest. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for coming to my TED talk. Right. Um, the other TED, the other podcast within this podcast, right. which is also called TED Talk. <laughs> um, and okay, so they they begin they get out of that encounter, um, and then they call that place the place of the first encounter. Uh, Mem doesn't think that's a very good name. Uh, <laughs> Meanwhile, you named your daughter Remembrance, so I don't care about well, your she's, opinions. <laughs> she's named Remembrance. She's not. Yeah. Oh, my bad. Mem I, doesn't I, think this is a good name. I cannot hear you when you say Mem versus Ma'am. So, what? <laughs> Yeah, Mem's right. It's a Mem crap name. Mem doesn't think it's a good name. Uh, she says, I personally do not think this is a fitting name. I would uh, leaf call it... What? Is that a typo? Is that what... Give me your page exactly. 75. 
Huh. It also says leaf on mine. Yeah. I don't know. I would leaf call, call it, it the place of fire and arrows or some I such. Wonder if leaf is supposed to be least. Yeah, I don't know. Because that FS business. Anyway. Yeah. The place of fire and arrows. <laughs> which are, I, which is also not a great name. No. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, in the pages previous, they talk about Grampus Bay. They Terrible also talk name. about Corn Hill. And then she also talks about how they're so great at naming things. Right. And I'm like, listen. I circled that and I was like, you sure? Yeah. <laughs> you sure, Remembrance? Yeah. They're very literal when it comes to naming things. God. Patience. I must pray for patience. Okay, uh, I love when Mem gets a little peppy, petty with the other girls. She has this girl on her deck called Airnose. Yes! Okay, let's talk about Airnose. Okay. So Airnose is occasionally running around with these Billington boys, the Bilgewater boys, she calls them. And she's very stuck up and snotty, and, she can't, and Mem can't stand it. She won't mm-hmm. help with the work, which is... Uh, Mem a couple times insinuates that people who are good to, too good to work are not worthy of being in this colony. Which is a very Puritan mi- mindset. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we keep calling them Puritans. They're not Puritans. They're pilgrims. <sighs> I will leave the. I'm a conversationalist. I'm not here for Just historical say, accuracy. Don't at us. We know. Right. Yeah, we are. <laughs> we know. I won't read your criticisms for years anyway. Um, and when I do, they will go right to my heart, and I'll remember them forever. Yeah. Uh, are we? Are we in Plymouth now? Yes, we are on Plymouth, in Plymouth Harbor, and we're making landing, um, and we are coming upon Plymouth Rock. Mm. Uh, so the bilge rats and Mem, along with Hummy, all end up in the same boat. <gasps> are you talking about this, one of my favorite parts in this book, on page 83? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So leading up to this, Air Nose, who is Mary Chilton, as mm. I recall. Yeah. As I, I did speed read this book. Um, it was very easy to speed read. Yeah, it's because it's a huge type. Uh, So she is coming up on Plymouth Rock, and it looks like she and Hummy are going to be the first ones to step on Plymouth Rock. Mm -hmm. The first, you know, white child in America. Yeah. And it's supposed to be Mem and Hummy. I love that Mem has this sense of, like, historical importance. Yes. But the boat spins around, and Mary Chilton shoots under her armpit (laughs) uh, and becomes the first white person. In fact, eventually... Not white person. uh, Sorry, the first white child. There is eventually a painting of this particular landing as I mm. recall reading. Is there? Um, but yeah, so she she writes very tiny in her um, diary. This becomes like a size 10 font on the page. I hope Mary Chilton almost dies a long and painful death and then recovers, but is left slightly crippled. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favorite part of the whole book. I, mean, I love that they put it, they went the extra mile to put it in tiny, 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 tiny font. type. Because you just know she scrawled this tiny because it's a shameful, sinful thought to have. I, okay, I do love that about um, Mem's character, how, how it, like, so this is something that comes out not in her telling, but, like, how it's written. Um, yes. Catherine because, Lasky did a wonderful yeah, job Yeah, there's a that. lot of, like, Im- implications of, like, what kind of person Mem is. And you can, she has this, like, kind of, like, spunk, like, main character energy. Um, but she's also a very devout pilgrim like she does she never questions her faith throughout this whole thing like she stays that's not part of it like you would think it would be easy um for someone who's writing about a spunky puritan to be like i don't know if i believe in all these rules you know right (laughs) but like that's not the part that she questions she's 
unwavering in her faith, but she does have all of these moments where she's just very honest about the people around her and she has these very strong opinions, but she always like hedges it by yes. saying, oh, that was a terrible thing for me to say. Yes. Like, oh, I feel so bad. Oh, I'm going to write it really small. <laughs> it just reveals- Did you have those thoughts growing up? Because sometimes yeah. I would also have these like small person thoughts and oh, I'd yeah, be yeah. like, God's going to punish me for that. I sometimes... I mean, we all, we all have those thoughts. It's part of uh, the Freud's theory of id and ego and, and well, super ego. It's I like also those, think, though, the, the clutch that American evangelism has on this country and our culture... Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't raised evangelist, I was raised with religion. My father's like a deacon in the church and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like you kind of have this idea that God can hear your thoughts and that he might punish you for them. I a little bit believe that God killed my cat because I had to be taken care of at home and the cat couldn't have been there for that. Oh. Yeah. That's upsetting, right? That is upsetting. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, sometimes Mem has little thoughts as well. Yeah. And I appreciate the authors uh, including them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she is not a fan of Air Nose and has some other great uh, Oh, nicknames. but here... Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, this is on. in the following pages. Anything. I got really excited. Uh <laughs> Hummy, again, they're not... Mary Chilton, this air-nose girl, she isn't working. Mm. Everybody else is um, kind of taking care of Mistress Allerton, who had a stillborn baby, and they're, you know, burying this child within days of arriving at Plymouth Harbor. Um, And um, the houses, the lots are being laid out for oh, what's yeah. going to become Plymouth Town. How exciting, though. Like, oh, Can you imagine? From a person who played a lot of SimCity growing up, um, <laughs> the idea of just, like, getting to a place and just being able to, like, where am I going to live? You know, what's like, it it's be deeply like? appealing to me. <laughs> so Mary Chilton is talking about how, because her family's important and they're from Canterbury, they will get the first lot. Yeah. And um, that is so antithesis to what the saints were about. Yeah. Uh, that there weren't supposed to be ranks. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why part of the reason that America today still doesn't have a class system. That well, we are not an enshrined dis- class exactly. system. I saw those air quotes, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Danny's editorializing. I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I love this takedown. Um, we all. So she says that everybody's humbled. There's nobody in this group who is of high rank. We all be but humble, simple folk. Some educated like Master Bradford and Elder Brewster, but some not. I do not know where she gets to talking in this high manner. I say to her, quote, Mary Chilton, if your parents get their allotment first, it is not because they are high and mighty and special. It is only because they are exactly like you, low and pushy. Ooh. Sick. Ooh. <laughs> Good job, Mem. Sick burn. And you know what? I can't think of a worse insult than be having somebody call you low. Yeah. It's effectively also saying the, trashy. the pulling out of the full name, Mary Chilton. Right. If your parents get their... Mm, love that. Now, that was actually... That ta- that sweet takedown is on Christmas... The day before Christmas Eve. Yeah. So December Christmas 23rd. Eve. Christmas Eve Eve. Um, so then we come up on Christmas and we get a look at how pilgrims celebrate Christmas. And I thought yeah. this was fascinating. 
which is to say that they do not celebrate Christmas. They don't. <laughs> not at all. Pilgrims, uh, Puritans, Separatists, Saints, whatever, um, they considered the Falderall of Christmas, like the tree and things like that, to be highly pagan. Now, the tree was not an English thing at all until no, it was German. the Victorian era. Yes. So they're not thinking about trees necessarily. They're thinking about the parties like the and the drinking, drinking of masks. Of, yeah. Yes. Like Christmas was a, a long, you know, English tradition. Henry VIII would have big pageants and stuff in the court. But um, yeah, that was considered way too... Uh, but the greenery and things that they brought in actually goes back to just about the Roman there's era. There's different... The, it's different. There's um, is a different tree. In fact, there's the druidic uh, practice of I forget what kind of tree it is, but it's not an evergreen tree. I want to okay. say it's like a yew tree or something. Oh, you're right. And so what the early Christians in England did when they were trying to kind of take over and colonize <laughs> the culture of of their island. Well, and not just England. They did this. The Christian church. They did, did this it wherever everywhere. they were. Yeah, wherever they were. They they looked around at the local pagan traditions and they borrowed co-opted them uh so specifically in england though they would go to these sites that were of uh ritualistic importance to the druids um stonehenge for example stonehenge or like you know the trees i think they were you i'm not looking that seems correct um and they would build a church right there so they would be right next to this already sacred place and so it was just an easy (laughs) transition of like you like this tree can I interest you in this building? Um, <laughs> if you go farther back, uh, Jesus, the story of Jesus, virgin birth, born in a bard, all of that is lifted right out of like Mycenaean oh. uh, mythology. Interesting. Like, whew, the whole thing is borrowed. Uh, and that's part of my problem with it. Mm, well, we won't do- dive too right. deep into that. But um, Nine-year-olds, that, I encourage you to do your own research. That is all just to say that <laughs> that uh, they were co-opting pagan traditions. And so, and it also turned into this huge, like, feast day. And it was a Christian holiday at this point in time. But this is why the pilgrims were not into celebrating it was because... Culturally, they didn't believe in that kind of celebration. Yes. Sort of like how... Um, one of the culty religions today, I think it is, uh-huh. <laughs> hang on, it's going to bother me. Uh, not, uh, not Jehovah. Yeah. Jehovah's witness. They don't do birthdays or Christmas. Oh, okay. They're, yeah. They're there's not whole to celebrate different those ideas about like even gift giving. It's like seen as a very Christian thing to some people because you're showing your love, um, for each other and, you know, which shows an interesting tie between Christianism and capitalism oh yeah it's, it's become super capitalized super t- but there's also other, other christian traditions that really frown on gift giving because i think of how it's become commercialized but also because they don't believe in the like selfishness and like singling out of people and material things yeah. so i personally really like gift giving um i think it's a good way to show your love so yeah i'm not gonna look down on it (laughs) anyway so they don't celebrate christmas because it's too sinful which seems sounds weird to our christian it's the birth of christ so it's our most sacred and holy high day um high holy day um yeah not to them and so uh they probably would have been the original um fighters of the war on christmas (laughs) 
100%. And they absolutely were. Um, Moving on to January 1st. um, The year hath turned, and I now write a new numeral on this page, but it leads me to wonder if we came at the wrong time of year for this task. You think? She absolutely did. You think? (laughs) November is not the time to be taking ocean trips. Yeah. And just, like, start a new life on the rocky coast of New England. On the other hand, winter is quite different in England, right? They've got that jet stream to keep England quite warm. Yeah, it is a lot more temperate there. Much temperate. But still, like, you're not planting crops most of the time. So I don't... Right. I don't quite know yeah. what they're thinking. It's it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me unless something went horribly wrong with the timing. I bet you Nathaniel Philbrook will tell me, but I haven't finished that book. I'm sorry. <laughs> so leading us to January 5th, this ground my gears. Um, Miles Standish goes mm. and while he goes in search of the Indians, he's actively out there trying to force contact or friction with native peoples and while he's out out because everybody's so desperate for fresh meat he saw and shot an eagle today (laughs) yeah danny danny just lifted his eyebrows um so i wrote i i circled that and i was like a bad omen (laughs) you don't do that in america the eagle is such a strong symbol of the united but it wasn't states at this time. of course not the turkey was almost right a that was our thing and now we eat um, it every but year. they shot it and they ate it and almost immediately afterwards everybody starts to die the author set it up uh she put this you know detail in there and then in the following days this great sickness uh really occupies a lot of mem's time uh, so, yeah, I wrote, uh-oh, bad omen. And then as we go on into January, uh, we start seeing, um, you know, more places to name. Um, they're discovering more about their land. Uh, and the weather is, you know, good and bad, um, you know, as they're in for this rough time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, some- there's buildings going up, but like almost immediately it's like. Master Bradford, who has been staying on shore along with father and some others, has fallen ill. He is quite sick. And then she just like, oh, uh, and then there goes Governor Carver. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I I just appreciate that the author set that up Mm. um, that, you know, first the eagle dies and then and then everyone else, everybody else. Let this be a lesson to you. Uh, Rose Standish dies in the middle of the night. She's related to Miles, of course. Uh, who shot the eagle, which is the note I made here. Um, and just You've again. put together a wonderful, like, America's curse of, like, you should. <laughs> I'm for it. Mistress Mullins now be coughing blood. Oof. Uh, I did look it up, by the way. I wrote TB a lot in this. Yeah. Um, it is not TB. TB no. did not exist at that time. I didn't know how old tuberculosis was, but when we start talking about mother's mams, Ma'am. uh, the burr in her chest, <laughs> that crackling is a sign of TB. TB is getting lesions in your lungs, uh-huh. which, by the way, I just got to go do a chest scan, a CT scan to see how my lesions are doing. Yeah, are they? Uh, they're okay. <laughs> I have significant scarring on my left lobe left upper lobe um that's left over from covid and pulmonary embolisms yay but um my breathing is clear and my lungs hold an adequate supply of oxygen i know congrats to me for not dying congrats uh and i do have to get a tb i get a tb test every year because tb would severely complicate everything that i have well and it's still 
you have access to better medicine. Absolutely. We're not just bleeding people. That's the solution to a lot of people falling ill as they wander around in the woods and water and mist of Massachusetts in Mm -hmm. January. Uh, Their solution is to bleed them, which was a policy... Uh, I think that goes back to like the Roman era. This is a very old. Yeah, very old form of medicine where you let out the diseased blood. You literally would cut slits in people's wrists and legs and sides Mm -hmm. and catch the diseased blood falling out. The four humors. Yeah, trying to balance the four humors. Blood and bile. There's black bile and yellow bile. Yes, correct. Um, now, it's interesting to me, those four humors, mm-hmm. um, the, the colors that they use to represent them mm-hmm. are also reflected in most Native American medicine wheels for the directions and energies of the world. I know there might be something to it on like a metaphysical level. I don't know. But definitely probably don't take people's blood out of their body on purpose. You would like the blood to stay on the inside. Now, I know there's like still some occasions where people are leached. Today? Yeah. Jiminy Christmas. Yeah, medical leaching is still a thing. No, it's not. Oh, yeah. No, it's not. It 100% is. That is true? Yeah. Do you know, if some doctor tried to put a leech on my body, I would fight them like a jungle cat. Yeah, it would not be fun. There is absolute... I'm a very patient patient. I'm quite good (laughs) at being a patient. I'm basically a professional patient right Mm now. If somebody came at me with a slug that they were going to attach to drink my blood, there is no flipping way. Mm -hmm. Uh Uh-uh. No. I will fight you like a orangutan. It's a thing. Sounds gross. Anyway. (sighs) Sorry. I'm just like upset that that still happens. Uh, The roof of the sick shed caught fire. That's also probably not a great sign. No. Like if we're looking for signs from God... Yeah. Like maybe God's saying, get back on the stinking boat and get the heck out of here, back to where you belong. Yeah. Yeah. It just, there's a, there's a huge chunk of this book that just like, suddenly everything bad happens. Um, This next part made me sad. Which, which one? Which Uh, part? The death of Edward Potts. Uh, Oh. So this is February 16th. I'm on page 105. Okay. Yeah. Strange and mysterious is the passage of some into the arms of death. Death, however, is becoming ordinary around here and has found yet new way to disturb and transfix us with its power. Early this morning, I was walking, I was working in the shed. It became clear soon that soon Edward Potts would depart this earth. His wife, who cradled him in her arms these long last days, lay herself right down beside him on the pallet. When he died, she continued to lie beside him for some time, and we let her be. But imagine our surprise when we began to notice that Mistress Potts was in the midst of labor. Oh, boy. Yeah, I wrote Jesus here. (laughs) Jesus. Um, But she hardly moaned. Tis very difficult to write what happened next. The woman did wrap up the baby and give it to Mistress Potts, who looked upon it with a and a smile broke across her face like sunshine scattering across clouds. She then held the baby to her breast and showed its sweet visage to her dead husband. It was an eerie configuration, but still we gathered around, just as if Edward Potts was alive. For a moment, we were all as happy as could be in these peculiar circumstances, because for one blessed hour, it seemed as if death had been defied. But then, suddenly, the baby seemed to grow weak, and within minutes, it too joined its father. This is like not a kid's book. 
Yeah, it is right? though. Like I right. And this is the why but, I am the way I am. It also shows you how much kids can handle. Yeah. Uh, but still like that was like a significant bummer and like I've bummed myself out again reading it. Mm. Uh listeners, if you're new to Jen and I's podcasts, uh I'm the crier. Yeah. And I am actively crying right now. So <laughs> Yeah, that made me really sad when I read it. Um so they give Hannah Potts, who eventually becomes a character, um, a very so- strong sleeping draft, for they were fearful that they would not be able to take her dead child and her de- dead husband away from her. They have to imagine, knock this broad out. Imagine waking up, though. No, I don't want to. If okay. Dan goes first, I'm hot on his heels. Oh, woof. Okay. <laughs> this just, yeah. that, And I think that passage is probably the most, like, emblematic of this whole section of, like, everyone dying. And, like, Mem has a front row seat to that because she is working in the sick shed. It's, and it was very, very common for young women to be, hmm. you know, doctors and nurses for the people around them. That goes way back to the 1200s. You know, yeah. we look back at the book Catherine called Birdie, mm-hmm. uh, which I also highly recommend. Uh, Birdie is regularly creating her own best guesses of medicine based on, you know, what other people tell her and a little bit of a little her her own sass. Yeah. Uh, For example, at one point in time, some guy who creeps her out needs a medicine for a hangover. So she puts dog dung in it. (laughs) Sorry, Jen was drinking then. Yuck. (laughs) Uh, Birdie's amazing. And if you haven't read that book, I really recommend it. She's probably my favorite young female writer. As Birdie? a character, Birdie. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And that is by Karen Cushman. So, yeah, memory does have a front row seat. So, a lot of people die. Uh, Ma'am falls ill. Uh, Ma'am has indeed fallen ill. They brought her to the sick shed. I resisted for several days, hoping against hope that she had not indeed sunk to the terrible level of those in the sick shed. But Father and I realized last night that we only be fooling ourselves tis better she moved to the sick shed where me and hummy and lark and the other dear people who care for them are uh so yeah and then blessing the baby sister goes to stay with it with a friend and for her own safety yeah so this is this is a lot yeah <laughs> And then uh, the very next entry one of the little orphans new orphans uh dies yeah, this is just gets. This book is on every downer. page. Another person dies. Everyone's just like, oh. <laughs> this is so much. Um, the, the next entry starts over the past week. Fourteen people have died. Poor Lark has now lost everyone in her family. Great, great, awesome. Uh, and then spring comes. <laughs> well, and she almost resents it. Spring is so beautiful. Um, and you know, she's still slogging through all this death and she says, we are mocked. I want the birds to shut their beaks. Mm. I understand that feeling where you're in so much despair and the world keeps churning without you in the most unruly fashion. Yeah. Yeah. How dare it not stop and observe all the pain that we're going through. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately that's one of the cruelties of the universe. I want the sun to blink once and then roll its bright yellow eye into the skull of the sky like the dead man's eyes do roll up. I hate that a 12-year-old girl knows exactly how a dead man's eye rolls up into his skull. Yeah, but that's a great line. It is, absolutely. 
Uh, yeah, ma'am gets a little better, and so she goes back home, and they're like, this is fine, everything's fine. Um, Meanwhile, ma'am, mother, is teaching me all sorts of housewifery things. It is if she wants to teach me all at once. I think she's kind of implying that she knows she's going to die. Yeah. Yeah. And then Hummy's worried about her father, who is uh, not exactly a bodily sickness. Um, basically, he's depressed because he's his wife died before. Did, As I said before, girls, don't settle. Um, yeah. And so he just continues to be depressed, st- spending much of the day staring into his fireplace. Um, he does help with the sick, though. So at least he is doing that share. I threw it all. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta work. You gotta, there's stuff that's gotta get done. And I'm sure to an extent he wants to do it for Hummy. Mm-hmm. Oh, but then in the next one, he's working at the sick shed. Um, and she writes, Hummy arrived most upset today. She said her father was working in the sick shed and was tending Mistress Winslow, who appears close to death. She heard him bend over and whisper something about his wife in Mistress Winslow's ear. Then he began speaking a bit louder, and she heard him very clearly say, Tell dear Eleanor that I shan't be long coming, that all shall be well. Isn't that awful? It yeah. It just makes me so sad. <sighs> okay. Um, yeah, and then they ask him not to work there anymore because he's causing too much of a disturbance. Um, I like this last line, though, on page 114. I feel so awful for Hummy. I think her father is a very selfish man. Mm -hmm. And I think that is an interesting... She picked a side. Mem picks a side there. But I wrote the note, duty to the living Mm -hmm. versus the love of the dead, ties of love to the dead. He still feels very tied to his dead wife, Eleanor, to the fact that it is impacting his duty to those around him. And Mem is, Mem's taken a staunch side against that, but I think that's because she doesn't know a big love yet. I think it's easy to say, mm-hmm. but pay attention to us. Like, again, like I literally well, but it's just also told you a very valid thing yeah. to say. It's like, listen, like, I understand that you're having a hard time, but ultimately you have a living daughter and and that's you know got to be your first priority um as, yeah this book tackles some really serious subjects in less than like 300 pages <laughs> yeah like, really it goes from being like oh Ernos touched the rock before me to <laughs> <laughs> to please take my dead wife this message to like cross hey my world. friend's dad can you please stop being depressed so you can take care of my friend your daughter no, I completely agree. Um, I, I I find these books very impressive in their light density. These are like the quiche of books. Like there's a lot of nutrition here, but it's quite light on the tongue. <laughs> Just please put that as a as a like Goodreads review. I can't be bothered, is, but I'll let you do this it. This is the quiche of books. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, how good does quiche sound? Really good. I know. Yeah, it's because okay. it's Sunday. Let's uh, uh, let's start to phase out of the the death. Although we do have another major death coming. Well, um, I just want to talk about something up for the March thirteenth episode, episode installment, yes. mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. Um, her her writing here. She starts talking about the actual point of the Mayflower voyage. Mm, it was yeah. a money making venture. 
The point of this is to make money and send back exotic imports, basically, to England uh, in order to have covered the cost of the trip. That's how they got funding. That's how King James was like, yeah, this is fine. Um, Because, yeah, this is them establishing a new colony and new um, markets. So we start seeing, um, we start putting things away into barrels. That becomes one of her new jobs rather than taking care of the dead and dying. It's almost like someone saw this 12-year-old girl and was like, let's, um, let's get you doing something else. Yeah, <laughs> oh, baby. Like, How do you go fill some barrels maybe for a while? Somebody should be taking care of this child. <laughs> but then again... They didn't really have a, a much of a theory of childhood back then, so... I think our concept of childhood would have been very unfamiliar. Oh, yeah. Those are just young people. They were little homunculi. Like, that's yeah. a fully formed human who doesn't need specialized care. I mean, they definitely knew that they needed to be taught things. And right. that they're, like, you know, too young to be married and having kids. But, like, not far off of there mm-hmm. <laughs> at the same time, so... <laughs> In the following days, we meet our first um, fascinating visitor. Yes. Uh, We're on page 116. And at last, I have seen an Indian um, indigenous person. Yes. Again, all these names. Yeah. This is written from a European girl's perspective. Some of the problems we are still dealing with today. Um, I have not only seen him, I have stood right beside him. I have touched his hand. I have filled my eyes with the gold amber of his skin. So once again, curious and not judgmental. And uh, admiring. Yeah. Like wants him to like her. Yeah. In a like appropriate not creepy way yeah yeah yeah. as in like i want i'm very curious about this person i want to know everything about them i want them to think i'm cool yep kind of like how i'm uh thought of you when we first met (laughs) all of you too (laughs) you really broke down my barriers though because i was not accepting new friend applications at that time i will do anything jen's like uh i see that seance book you're reading do you want to be best friends do you want to be friends? screw it yeah (laughs) And then over the years, she slowly wore me down until we had two podcasts together. Yep. So anyways, we're talking about this person, Samoset. Um, Samoset is a real person. Absolutely. A historic person person who did um, the feathered man opens his mouth and what comes out but English. And she was so surprised. And the reason for that is that Samoset 100% was kidnapped in the years previous. Uh, The reason that he did not die, um, say with Squanto... um, at this time period, they were from this Patuxet area. And when that smallpox affected everybody else and just ran through their village, they were gone because they had been kidnapped and taken to England where they learned English to survive oh, in did they order go to, to get back home. Sorry? Did they go to England? They were in England. Oh. Yep. Um, Great. So, yeah. <laughs> it's like Pocahontas 2. Uh, yes. It Pocahontas 2 is the more historically accurate of the histor- of the yeah. Pocahontases. It's an interesting sequel. So he says, welcome. My name is Samoset. I come not from here, but from the Monahegan into the north by yeah, sail. Yeah, so he's not Patuxet. He's, right. Yeah. Right. But still, same story. Uh, Squanto actually is from Patuxet. And the, again, the reason that he speaks English is because he was completely kidnapped and yeah. taken away. But that did spare his life. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never seen a more stunned man in my life than Elder Brewster, Master Bradford, and Governor Cardfer. Samus had asked for beer and biscuits, and they gave him strong water Heck instead. Yeah. What is strong water? 
Is it just like small beer where it's like less, it's like watered down beer? Yeah, it might be. Okay. But like, it's, that's just iconic behavior to be like, hey, you got any more of that beer? (laughs) Like, that's the one thing I appreciate about your society. Okay, but it's kind of a weird area. What? So. Go on. One of the problems of colonization for Native Americans. Oh, you mean alcohol? Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, (laughs) I thought about it. Man, you read enough Sherman Alexi, you think about that a lot. Yeah, so I'm not... But it is also historical. Like that... Oh, yeah. They're not... This isn't the author being like, no. what do I know about Native Americans? Right. (laughs) No, absolutely. That is correct. And and what Samoset and Squanto discuss and ask for when they first come is well documented. William Bradford wrote down everything. Um, So none of that is inaccurate. Um... But it is a little it's, difficult. It has a lot of connotations now it because of how the history of of white relations with yep. Native Americans continues and worsens Absolutely. over time. But and here, for they the record, don't have those kind of at this time. At this time, they exactly. don't have those connotations. Yep. Um, and I mean, everybody at this point in time in British history drank beer because it was genuinely safer than the water. Yeah. Um, so, and it was brewed by women. That's true in their homes. Um, so, anyways, um, he goes through and Samoset tells them the history of the region that they that we. Huh, Samoset told them that the region where we be is called Patuxet, which means Little Bay or Little Falls. Four years ago, there was a great and terrible plague here, killing every single person. Yeah. Therefore, there is no one now to lay claim to the land, but it is why we find many of the fields cleared. Yeah. yeah. So That's we, exactly what we were talking we discussed. about. Yep. Yep. They've, they came and they're like, wow, this is really great land that's been prepared for us. And it's like, well, that's because people lived here <laughs> and now they're all gone. Not all. A fascinating day in Mem's life, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the following days, March 23rd. Well, you can tell that it was like a, a red letter day for her because she signs off. So good night and love. Remember Patience Whipple, which I love because it has a touch of the melodramaticness that I felt as a young child yes. when I was writing my diary. I was like, oh, this is a big day. So, so I'm going to sign my whole name at the end of it. Um, she does that on the following page as well. This is March 23rd, the day she meets Squaw. Yeah. And she gives him pudding. Um, I'm Which sorry, is... Samoset. She gave the pudding to Samoset. Yeah. And Samoset turns to Squanto and says, in English, this is the pudding girl. So now I have a new name, the pudding girl. And she's like so proud because she has a nickname. Everybody loves a nickname. She's known by these new fun people. Like that's, I love that. That's Do you great. write Jeff in your diary? No, I don't With keep love, a Jeff. diary anymore. <laughs> Dear diary. I, I don't, I can't think of anything. Today, my weirdo friend messed up my name and now they call me Jeff. This happened a lot. That's, that's more than and one John. occasion. Yeah, yeah, you're also John. <laughs> um, also, um, the, they have a treaty in place that they already honor. That is leftover from the fur trade. Leftover from the fur trade or like a thing that happens again with the fur trade? Well, because... The fur trade is still happening at this time period. It's happening more in Canada, though. They haven't 
gotten down to Michigan yet. Not no, not, well, not Michigan. No, but the fur trade I'm happened in New England as well too. They yeah. had beaver in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, beaver was the major fur of the fur trade. We live in Michigan, in case you didn't. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and we are. I'm. I really love the fur trade history. We'll Thank get you. to that. Actually, I don't know if there's a book about the fur trade. I, I looked at there isn't, and it's dumb. Mm, sad. Maybe Dear Scholastic, it. No, I'm not going to write we'll it. revive the series and you'll write the beaver trade one. You know, it would have been possible from a girl's perspective because... She would, she maybe, she could meet Madame Laframboise. Oh, yes. Yes. Let's do it. Sorry. Okay. I get really excited about this. This is really boring Scholastic, content though. get at us. Yeah. Dear Scholastic, I have such a good idea. Um, so anyway, fur trade, love it. Uh, what is it? I believe the okay. Um, <laughs> so, fortune telling and pilgrims. Do you think they Ooh, are for it or telling. against it? Um, I would guess against it. You would think, but there is a steady business of it within the Plymouth Colony. Where, apparently, where are we? This. What page are we? On? I'm on page 122. Um, Hummy's father hasn't come out of the house for two days. Uh, however, Mistress Billington, remember, we don't approve of the Billingtons, oh. certainly has, and at odd times. She be abroad two nights in a row now, quote, up to no good, end quote. So once again, we're right mm. away, we are ready to shame women. <laughs> yes. um, why would someone go a out at night? leaving her house? At night, shame. where the vapors are about? Shameful. Vapors from the South. I wrote, what is their belief about vapors from the South? And I could not find any historic evidence to figure out what the heck they're, yeah, because to figure out what they're talking about. Pre-Victorian, like, ness of like keeping everything shut um, i can't there yeah they have a lot of things with different elements and disease i mean we have to remember that they had a huge plague um that i think comes up again in like within this century so yeah they are very scared of disease even though they are riddled with it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so why would someone go out at night, especially with the vapors uh, when a south wind is blowing? There is talk that she keeps a sieve and scissors for the practice of what is called the small sorceries, like fortune telling. Uh, Lark says she knows not about such things. She only does know, remember, Lark lives with the Billingtons. Yeah. She Lark only... is an 18-year-old girl, in, case you, did, in yes. case you forgot from last time. They just named her Lark. <laughs> just a little nickname. Um, she, does, she only does know that Mistress and Master Billington fight loudly all the time, and she, for she lives closer to them. And that one day, Governor Carver reprimanded Master Billington for talking so coarsely to his wife outdoors where everyone can hear. Yeah, do that inside. Yeah. Beat your wife inside where we don't have to be burdened with Woof. it. Uh, although it's worth noting that they didn't have uh, glass windows at this time. So being inside didn't really uh, prevent right. you from, from uh, overhearing much. Um, so eventually... and. The abruptness of this book, I don't think, allows us to fully uh, investigate it. But while we're talking about all this disease, mm -hmm. at one point in time, uh, after discussing that Mistress Billington practices these small magics, fortune telling yeah. and the like, um, eventually we discover that the Billingtons are largely untouched by all this disease. Interesting. And I thought for Suspicious. sure we were going to end Suspicious. up with some sort of like... Witch trial? Witch trial, yeah. Um, I think if this was completely fictionalized, yes. Right. That's where we would go. I think 
because the Billingtons are real historical people, uh, they didn't want to <laughs> make up whole cloth uh, a dramatic ending for someone who is a real life person. Um, and also, I think it's worth remembering that uh, witch trials kind of came in phases where you know, people were always kind of, like, accused of witchcraft low-key, but the hardcore trials and uh, mass Hysteria. executions of that came in, um, like, the Red Scare. Like, it came in phases where people were more afraid of it. Um, and, yeah, so that's that's coming up in about 70 years mm-hmm. here. That's going to be a big we'll problem. We'll come back to that. Yeah, we will. <laughs> um. So we come back to her house on page 125 and mother is coughing up blood. Yes. I've been so, I'm so ashamed. I've been so taken with the Indians that I have neglected my own dear mother. I mean, not to neglect her duty. I know. I I can't. I literally can't say it. I'm just leaning full into it. Ma'am. I hate it. With a flat Michigan A. Yeah. Ma'am. I mean, not to neglect her in duty. I have helped her and have brought her tea and carried her to the privy, but... I have been blind. So full have my eyes been with the color and feathers of the Indians that I have not seen my mother fade before me. I should have known she was growing weaker. Yeah. So much self-chastisement. Another Puritan value that we are still struggling with in America today. I mean, that's a very natural human emotion of like, my own mother is like getting worse and I haven't noticed like yeah I mean I think that's a human instinct to think like could I have done more I can live with that I can't blame the Puritans for every problem no just I mean I can try though also Puritans influence Ronald Reagan (laughs) (laughs) that shining city on the hill comes from uh that's right uh what's his name (sighs) he's he's not one of Boston he's not one of the Mayflower people yeah he's a Boston guy yeah Anyway, anyway, he sucks. Yep. <laughs> stinking, stinking pilgrims. So then mom dies. Um, we had put beautiful yellow flowers above her, and she yes. died with her eyes locked on the yellow of the pumpkins and the tansy. She died with two words on her parched lips, I love. There is not a time for rest, but we know the meaning. We knew her meaning all the same. I'd be feeling so strange. I have no mother now. I have no mother. I keep repeating that to myself, but I cannot believe she is gone. This book is so heavy. (sighs) Yeah. And then the very next day. Yep. I have yet new grief. Hummy sails tomorrow with her father on the Mayflower. Mm-hmm. That is when the ship is to leave. He must go back to England to be, near the, to be near the grave of his dear Eleanor, he says. I am simply numb. I wrote once again, don't settle, ladies. Wait, you're saying this is good? Like, Yeah, 100%. Okay. Uh, I don't want Dan to leave my body behind. Like, had I bit it, which... We all know I could have. Uh, uh, had I bid it, I would like Dan to be in mourning for the rest of his life. Thank you. Because yeah. I am amazing. I understand that. My only issue is you got to think of your kid. Like, you, Oh, yeah. Don't we don't have, have kids. kids. We have a dog. Uh, and that is much easier. Yeah. So I do think that because they're trying to build a new life here and Hummy has like a good friend, I feel like he should, you know, live for the living yep. a little bit more. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, I, underst- say he I completely forget. understand where the husband's coming from, though. Yeah. Like, um, grief is a heck of a thing. Oh, absolutely. This, it can be all encompassing. Yeah. 
Um, so, and, and then the same day they bury ma'am and it's, this is just a rough time. Poor ma'am. I don't know how, I mean, I guess, I guess that is a, a value of Puritanism that we can appreciate is the fortitude, the stick to It's very English. Stiff upper lip. I think there's something to that. Absolutely. Although the English... Very stoic. That stiff stoicism is not... They're not as good as they say they think. Yeah. Yeah. Like, the Swedes are much better at it than they ever thought about being. Oh, yeah. Listen, I've been watching the Harry and Maggie... Megan... Maggie. (laughs) Mary. The Harry and Megan documentary on Netflix. So I'm not very pleased with the British right now. (laughs) That's fair. Yeah. But in the long term, you know, I'll always love you. They're just mean. Anyway, uh, so the Mayflower leaves because, again, they this is an economic mm-hmm. settlement. So they they're going to take the things that they collected. They don't have a whole lot to send back right now, but it, this is going to be a thing where ships come and go um, over yep. time. Absolutely. It's a merchant peggery. Peggery? No, I'm just looking at the word peg. Sorry. There's a word peg on the wall. Um, stop. <laughs> Nine-year-olds. Uh, so anyways, uh, these ships come and go, it's to be a merchant, merchant port and they're supposed to be shipping things back and forth. This is a moneyed endeavor. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's interesting. We see depression, symptoms of depression creep into the behaviors of mem. Yeah. Cause we go from April 5th and then the next entry is June 5th. So she skips about. A month, two months, two months, and yeah, she starts in. Um, here I be again. I live imp, and that is all. I concentrate mm-hmm. very hard on small things, and that is something that you do with grief. You mm-hmm. handle the problem that is immediately in front of you because everything else is overwhelming. Mm-hmm. I put on my stockings and my garters, my three petticoats, and my waistcoat, an old moss green one of mom's. My apron and my pocket I tie around my waist. Did you know pa- pockets were something that you would tie on? It was like a purse that yeah. you would wear underneath your skirts. Mm-hmm. That's how the pocket got developed. Women used to be able to carry a lot of things in their pockets. Um, whole books, like yeah. everything they needed. Um, and then fashion changed. Yes, heaven forbid we look And bulky. revolutions happened. And men decided women shouldn't be able to hold that much anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she's talking about the pegs that her father made for her. She doesn't know where they went on. I have lost track of time. But here, my fingers feel less stiff. Perhaps I shall write more tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Journaling in and of itself is a wonderful exercise for the protection of mental health. Yeah. And I think that is important. Yeah, if you can't go to therapy, mm-hmm. at least you can journal. Well, we continue that uh, in the following uh, June 15th sentiment. Um, young John Billington has gone and got himself lost for five days, blah, blah. But at the end, after just telling everything that's been happening, P.S. Imp, which is the diary, my hand feels ever so much looser now. Mm-hmm. The words are no longer rusty. Yeah. So that is self-healing. There's a lot to be said about journaling and just writing things down. Yeah. And you also get some other news. Um, there's been a marriage. Um 
Edward Winslow and Susanna White, both of whom lost their mates in the sickness. And I think that gets to another interesting um, topic, which is blended families at this time. Yeah. Um, (laughs) People like to talk a lot about traditional marriage and how things used to be. And I think this is a good reminder that like, from a very practical standpoint, like that's just simply not true. Like people died a lot um, and died fairly young. And so just from an economic standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, it made sense to marry again. And so you you end up with a lot of um, very blended families at this time. And it's totally normal. Uh, you also have uh, wards and apprentices and servants and so like you have a lot of family structures that are not nuclear and not what you yeah, might... the nuclear family is really only a concept of the 50s forward yeah right like when we started shedding that like community because mm-hmm. that would have been communist of us yeah exactly um i also think we've got a great billington story here and another time where mem is a little petty <laughs> petty mem is my favorite right she's classic um so john billington goes and gets himself lost for nearly five days the bothersome child had everyone running all over creation governor bradford called a meeting with the Massoet, who sent out the word then word did come a day later. The horrid child has found his way into the Nosset Indians, the very same people who had set upon our men with their bows and arrows in December. But did they set upon John Billington? No, they adored the child. Governor Bradford sent the shallop for him yesterday. He returned today triumphant, bedecked in feathers and beads, more wampum than you could shake a stick at. Those Billingtons have more lives than a dozen cats. Not that I wish him dead, but how come he got to go to an Indian village, yeah, stay five days, and get presents, and full, not me? She's full on jealous. Right. I love it. It sticks in my craw, it does. <laughs> I, I just, I enjoy the pettiness and the drama. Yes. Oh, and then Squanto has embraced our faith and has become a professed member of the holy discipline. He be a saint now, like so many of us. He's a person, you're in a cult. This, this is a thing that happens, and there are uh, there's a lot going on that isn't explained, but yeah, we'll just leave it there. <sighs> yes. For some time, this is July 26th, page 135. I think this is interesting. Um, now, I'm sorry, 134 is where I wanted to start uh, because she goes eeling with her father uh, late at night. Um, eel was a popular food with English people. It still is. You can get eel and pie. And the Dutch. Oh, really? Are the Dutch big on or eel? Her- but yeah, you, you go in a big thing in the Netherlands is to go to market stalls where they have all these like long smoked eels hanging from oh. the top. It's is I'm it not good? a fan. Oh, I haven't. I have not had it. I mean, I'll eat it. I'll eat anything once, twice. Um, it's but, a huge thing. But they also love black licorice. So I'm not which here is to salted. defend <laughs> all of the Dutch. <laughs> There's like a licorice flavor. There's anise in this tea. Yeah, that that's drinking. why you gave it to me. And you're like, doesn't this smell amazing? And I was like, mm. <laughs> it's okay. I also like Jägermeister. But, uh, I know. Um, however, these flavors are so interesting. And like the way um, people enjoy food that is so different. Like I always thought I wouldn't like goat. Goat is delicious. Mm. Goat is one of the best tasting meats. 
Um, so I think I'll try eel. Okay. Um, now, it's interesting. Father tells me I must stand in the bushy reeds that grow on the edge and not get my feet wet. Uh, mm. And why, Master Whipple, Squanto, Squanto asks, Mistress Pudding would be good at wading and beating the water. But Father explains that it be not proper for young girls to bare their ankles and wet their skirts in such a manner. Um, I think that touches a little bit on bathing culture, unless you were looking for a different... There's a different passage that okay, talks that we'll about it more across. explicitly. So following up on July 26th, um, she starts noting that there be an attraction between my father and Mistress Potts. Mm. I'm not quite sure how I feel about it, honestly. On one hand, I would be most terribly disturbed if father became like Hummy's father, trying to speak to mom through folks who be half dead and more interested in heaven than what he has I here on earth. Namely, me and blessing. Yeah, namely me. (laughs) Could you please pay attention? (laughs) Yet on the other hand, it seems so soon after mom's death... I do realize, however, that Edward Winslow remarried, buried a month after his wife passed on, to which I wrote, men are trash. This is something, this is... Well, that's really a thing. Um, Men are trash, but not necessarily only for that reason. No, no, no. Um, There's a wide Men are more likely to quickly remarry when the woman is dead. So when... Women will often hold on romantically to one love and swear to never marry again. There's a couple reasons for that. It's not just that, oh, he was the one love of my life. Mm. It's also that marriage tends to make women less happy. Sorry. This is not the case in my own marriage. Uh, I get taken care of like a Maharaja. Yeah. Uh, But... Uh, <laughs> this is true. It's Dan basically carries me from room to room on a pillow. Mm. I'm catered to day and night. Yeah. However, uh, historically, marriage is good on paper for women, but bad in practice. Uh, they often it's good have more financially, work. but not always emotionally and or in terms or of workload physical safety yeah energy absolutely. Um, and so um, this is often a thing also. When women get sick with a terminal illness or a chronic illness, mm-hmm. 20% of men will leave in a, in a cishet relationship. Mm-hmm. 20% of men leave when the women, women get sick. Yeah. Uh, the opposite is true for women. Uh, yeah. When the husband gets sick, 80% of women stay. Yeah. Uh, so... The so when internalized I got, patriarchy right here because women are brought up to already think that they have to care for men, be loyal, and uh, and know how to do so functionally, right? You know, whereas men often find when they are widowers that they do not have any sense of how to run a household or manage mm-hmm. their own affairs because women have been taught to do it for them their it's whole lives. It's funny that I'm, I'm going to put Danny on blast a little bit because Danny made a face when you said that and I was like yes 100% this is true. <laughs> when I said you made a fast face when I said men are trash? No. no it was uh, I don't know the, the, it was the statistics oh. of like men are more likely to leave. There's, the math, 
Oh, gotcha. Math okay. is hard. Uh, so when <laughs> I you first... realize being like, what? How could a man possibly leave? <laughs> okay. It was like Newt Gingrich did. <laughs> um, so my first stint in the hospital way back in 2020, uh, my first little tango with death. Uh, so and like for new listeners, it's going to be a, an, a completely out of pocket statement. Like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> deal with it. There's go listen to the other show. There's a there. For if you are interested, there's an entire episode of our old podcast. This podcast is haunted. Uh, it's one of the last episodes that we did where I think Kate it's explains episode like 106 or something. Yeah, Kate explains everything. If you are curious, go listen to that. We're not going to rehash it all now. Long story short, I am four for four on the Grim Reaper. <laughs> Jesus, I know. Uh, anyway, so the first time when it became clear how bad my kidneys are, mm. uh, my kidneys are 92% scar and I will be dealing with kidney issues my entire life. My whole life every day in and out is about taking care of my kidneys. Mm-hmm. And um, when it became clear how much work that was going to be, so many nurses pulled me aside or they would wait for a time when Dan was out of their room or Dan was at home, which was pretty rare. Dan's always with me uh, in the best way. But they were like, listen, do you have, do you know a divorce lawyer? Do you have separate accounts? Is your name on the house? Like they asked me these very frank questions yeah. about my emotional, physical and financial welfare because they understood that my disease was so severe Mm -hmm. that it is possible Dan was the kind of man who would leave me Yeah, because they see that happen to women again and again in their profession. It's it's so sad that that has to be part of a nurse's job, Um, but it's so understandable. And it's on. It's good that they look out for women's I'll put a side note. Way. I don't think it's part of their like actual like job description. I think that's women looking out for women. Oh, 100%. Yeah. I'm not saying like, I don't think that there was necessarily, I mean, it probably was mentioned in like, you know, their schooling and their yeah. education, but there's no um, like on paper job requirement for them to do that. I think that's... Make sure you tell your patients about how many men leave. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, obviously, you're agreeing with me. <laughs> so <laughs> that's just, I just think that's it's nurses being thing. good people, and mm-hmm. we, we stand. We do. Anyway. <laughs> um, so anyways, I, I just think it's interesting. Uh, but I also, like, I'm glad Mistress Potts was the one whose husband died and then her baby I died forgot about that i didn't make oh, that connection and that's, that's who she is oh. and i'm if she has this romance as, as she goes in with father we know very little about father except for he's father well um, on the next page uh he makes her a stool yeah oh he's a carpenter we he's know a that carpenter. He's, he is he made involved. he made sure that she had pegs to hang her things on and keep them he clean he he helped fix the mast on the on the Mayflower. We know he's clever. We also know that he's a writer and he has a good understanding of printing presses. Yeah, we know a lot of facts about Father. But again, we don't we don't get Do we to know have his a whole lot name? of discussions with so. him. Um, still, Father has made me a stool. Um, he's it, it's the first real piece of furniture in our house. Like that's pretty momentous to have really put your child first like that. Yeah, and it's a good reminder that like they didn't come with a whole ton of furniture and stuff. They just basically showed up with like maybe some like small belongings. 
and very basic rudimentary tools. Yeah. Finer tools that were expensive. They could not afford for this trip. And I think um, it's mentioned later on that I think Mistress Potts has a mattress. She's a feathered mattress. She has a feathered mattress and people accuse Father of marrying her for her mattress. Ridiculous. Which is silly, but also like not at all like out of the ordinary for people to be like, who has the sweetest setup and like marriage is not especially a second marriage where you're basically looking for uh, from his perspective you're looking for a new caretaker for your children that you already have it's very opposite of hummy's father who was not thinking of hummy at all Mm -hmm. uh yeah so i like you know people could think that her father is being very uh callous and unfeeling to remarry so soon but i think he yeah i I think the comparison to hummy's father is apt because this is him focusing not just on his own happiness but also like i want my two daughters to have a mother figure and to someone someone to help them around the house instead of just relying on your children to do everything (laughs) raise Um, themselves we get a little bit more on August 2nd and August 5th of Mem being a little petty. Oh, petty. Guess who else has petty a mem. stool? Air knows. Love that. Mary Chilton. Uh, and then here she starts this little rant about Mistress Potts. Yeah, she doesn't like her. Not right away. And I, it's definitely I a misunderstanding there's as we a get lot, into. There's a lot going on where it's it's the stepmom. Potential I've never step-mom. had a stepmom. Me neither. So I don't know what this but is But I did like. see the movie, The Stepmom. Um, which uh, yeah it's a good movie so Mistress Potts is uh, putting her little tongue between her lips and tisking the way I was snapping off pea pods Mm. and she thought that so Mr. So um, Mem interpreted Hannah as tisking the way she was breaking off pea pods which Mm -hmm. is such a stupid and petty thing (laughs) exactly (laughs) Uh, and so the next day, August 9th, she turns on her and said, can't you just say what I'm doing wrong? Tell me instead of making that tisking and clicking with your tongue. Mm. Her face did crumple right before me. Her lovely gray eyes swam with tears and she fled the field. And if I didn't feel bad enough then, I find here when I return a note folded on my palette. Dear remember, I am so sorry to have tissed you as you described. It is not good of me, and this might be very hard for you to understand, but since my dear husband died and my baby too is now buried at his side, I have had a very hard time speaking, which is one of the other criticisms that she levels at Mistress Potts, mm-hmm. is that she's, she's too, too quiet. quiet yeah. um, I've had a very hard time speaking. I cannot always put my thoughts into words. I'm getting better, but speech comes very hard for me. My tisk sounds do not really denote criticism. With the peas, it was nothing that you were doing wrong, but the fact that so many of them seem scorched. Our yield be so small for all the work we have done. But I cannot think of how to express it. I know you are a patient child and will now better understand my affliction. That's a good, uh, I mean, this is a a uh, well-written note, very thoughtful. But it does end with a little bit of uh, uh, manipulation there. Like, I know that you are a patient child and you will understand. That's a classic tactic of like flattering to flattering to shame yeah Yeah. (laughs) she knows i'm a patient child imp oh dear i'd be mortified the poor thing yeah she really yeah she got it went for maximum effect 
That being said, I'm glad that we get a chance to hear Hannah's voice yes. here. I, I think Hannah is a lovely woman and uh, a lovely character in this story. I would have loved to get more of her. Yeah. Right? Like, she seems really interesting. I want to know where that feather bed came from. Yeah. Right? Rich. Like, there's history. There. I mean, her father's a goose down person. Oh, yeah. So they do tell us that. Um Anyway, I, I like Hannah. She is a very important figure here. Um, so on and so forth. So um, we're up. We're, we're doing more stuff. It's mm-hmm. late summer and we're doing more Ealing with Squanto and Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's an expedition um, going further in inland. Um, father's going on that. And, and we see some Indian children. <gasps> but next we get to my favorite part. And I'm going to take a sip of coffee so I get, get fully caffeinated. Maximum caffeine. I'm excited. Uh, everybody tuck in. Now comes to Jen's TED Talk. <sighs> Welcome to my niche interest, everyone. And it is bathing, uh, <laughs> which is a very niche interest. But let me tell you why. You should love it and be as obsessed as I am. Um, so Mem finds a pond, um, she like wanders a little further inland and she finds a freshwater pond, um, and hears, um, children laughing. It could have been our pilgrim children for when, uh, for when Indian children laugh, it does sound just like ourselves, which makes me think all the children on earth must laugh alike. That's true. Cute. We should all, uh, you know, try to understand each other because at heart we're all we all sound the same when we well, laugh. Well, smiling and laughing are instinctual. Yeah, although I, there are accents for them. There are, and I find that fascinating. Um, I crept closer and crouched down in the berry bushes and peered through. There, where the lily pads grow so thick, a half dozen Indian children were swimming and diving. When they came up, they clutched the roots of water lilies. They are gathering them for something. I shall ask Squanto. But what is amazing to me is that these children are so strong and healthy, despite playing about in the water. We have been taught to fear water, not simply because one might drown, but because we think that it washes off the body's natural protection. I uh, made a note here, crunchy wellness to cult, cult pipeline, which is still a thing today. But it's a slightly different, it's like religion to, it's... No, but it's like, it's not the crunchy aspect of it because that starts, never mind. Okay. We'll get to it. (laughs) Um, uh, 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 uh. I'm beginning to wonder about this now. I think if it is not true, I should like to learn how to swim. I, of course, would would not go naked. Fear not, imp. I would wear at least two petticoats, my waistcoat and my coif. I would not wear shoes, but yes, stockings. So, So Europeans at this time did not really believe in bathing in water. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. A, um, it was considered sinful to get naked and show your whole body. Um, but what is most important, what she actually hints at, is that they thought it was unhealthy. Um, and that's for a couple reasons. <laughs> because when the, the Romans, going back to the Roman times, public bathhouses, Roman bathing culture was fascinating because uh, they had a whole system of heating water and creating basically huge indoor hot tubs and that's and they did public bathing um a lot of other stuff happened at those public bathhouses uh they had quite a reputation for being places of relaxation leisure leisure, personal physical enjoyment personal yeah there's a lot of um 
murals and frescoes and and mosaics that depict a lot of um a lot of what the pilgrims would consider very uh sinful behavior that happened at these bathhouses this this culture this bathing culture continues into the medieval period a lot of people blame the middle ages for europeans being stinky and say oh the middle ages it must have smelled so bad that's not entirely true uh there was still a, a big public bathing culture in the middle ages for example the waters of bath taking the waters of yeah bath. that goes back to the romans but they certainly would have still been used absolutely in the middle I, ages one of the most famous pieces of early early english literature is the canterbury tales mm-hmm. the wife of bath you know, talking about these pilgrimages to Bath to get mm-hmm. this holy water to make yourself feel better is yeah. all part of something Chaucer was writing. Yeah. And so they're still bathing publicly, which means that there's a lot of public nudity, which means that there's a lot of other things happening besides just getting clean. And so at this time in the Middle Ages, there uh, starts this kind of it starts in the monasteries. You get monks and nuns who decide to stop bathing as a form of being extra holy. Um, and they it's a form of like, um, you know, how some monks would wear like rough sackcloth next to their skin. It's also a form of self-flagellation or um, denial of earthly yeah. needs. Denial of the body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so... With the combination of a sinful behavior happening at these public bathhouses and these like extra holy people deciding to refuse to bathe, that's where in the Renaissance uh, you get this idea of bathing being sinful. Um, But what also happens is plague. (laughs) So in the Middle Ages famously is where we have the Black plague the bubonic plague black death uh that kills off about a third of the population of europe carried Um, by fleas i believe it initially carried by fleas but it is a hugely communicable disease that uh is very well spread in a steamy public bathhouse yeah and so you have these huge outbreaks of disease coming from bathhouses um, because that might be also where the vapors comes from. Yeah, that's a very interesting idea. Mm-hmm. And so people start thinking, well, people are getting sick from going to bathhouses. So A, it must be unhealthy, and B, it must be God's retribution <laughs> for the <sighs> sinful behavior yes. of bathing in public. And so they stop bathing in water. <laughs> you know, there was also an issue of convenience in class. Um, and I... Well, no, that's not true because public bathhouses were open to everyone. Absolutely. It wasn't. But when public, after the public public bathhouses were closed in like the 1300s, 1400s, mm-hmm. uh, afterwards, bathing at home was yeah. what you did. But if you were trying to get into, you know, the tubs that they had, filling one of those up, having somebody that's to fill that, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Uh, so into the 1800s, referencing uh, Pygmalion, uh, Pygmalion is uncomfortable when she gets to Henry Higgins' house. Mm-hmm. Uh, the housemaid draws a bath and says, okay, it's time to get in. And Eliza says, you want me to take off my clothes and get wet all over? No, I'm a good girl. That's one of my favorite parts of My Fair Lady. Yeah. I'm a good girl, I am. <laughs> um, yeah, so there's that. And then there is another aspect of it, like opening the pores was also considered a way that... The devil that, could get in. No, that disease could get in. Oh. Um, it's like kind same. of the opposite of sweating out toxins. 
you want to keep your your pores clogged so that the toxins can't get in. Well, and Mem wanna... talks about the body's natural protection on yeah, this page, which 143. is dirt. Yeah, yeah um, just a good layer so, of slime. And, but what they did instead to keep clean was um, they emphasized a lot more having clean a clean layer of linen between their skin and their clothes oh. so they were keeping the same they, you would have the same pair of like outer clothes that you would wear every day um but if and but you were considered clean as long as you had a fresh freshly cleaned is shift. that what you when you te- you've mentioned linen bathing to yes. me before so yeah literally what they would do is they would um before even putting on their shift if you're really wealthy you'd have a linen basically towel and you would wipe yourself down with linen and that was your bathing. <laughs> was the towel wet? Mm-mm, no. Oh. Yeah, you would just wipe yourself with, like, basically, you know, if you're sweaty, you're just wiping, you're toweling yourself dry. <laughs> and so they called that bathing in linen, and then they'd put on a clean linen shift. And that's why when you look at portraits from the Renaissance um, and, you know, the 1600s and later, that you see so much flashes of white snowy linen the the linen the you know starched collars it represents the wealth that they have to have freshly cleaned yeah uh shifts that they wear every single day absolutely like being able to show matching furniture in a single portrait mm -hmm. you were wealthy enough to buy all your furniture at once well you're wealthy enough to have a linen shift that you could you could have like a new shift for every day you know while the other ones are being laundered yes you know <laughs> instead of just wearing the same dirty shift every imagine day. thinking yourself wealthy if you had a fresh pair of underwear to wear every exactly day. but it is wealthy and then showing Even today and then uh maybe 90s kids will remember this but showing your undergarments as a way of showing off your under. <laughs> I'm talking about thongs. Okay. We had Low radically different childhoods. Did you did you whale tail? Is that what no, you're saying? No, I didn't, but like that was a fashion and it was. Lord help me if that comes back. I'm so scared of You know what? Jeans. It is only a matter of time before Gen Z grabs that one and runs. Mm-mm. So, that is all to say that this is why I'm very excited. Yeah. Uh, to learn that Mem is scared of water because it is a very fat there's a very fascinating history to the history of bathing and i maintain that it is one of the main reasons why we talk about to this day white people not being very good at bathing themselves that is a conversation culturally it is a conversation where you know uh especially people of color who find out white people's bathing habits or lack thereof um i think part of part part of that the reason that people of color i generally think of people of color having cleaner houses and more rules stricter parents and i think that is because it is harder this society is going to be four times harder on any person of color than any white person mm. so People, I grew up in a mixed black and white culture, Benton Harbor, mm-hmm. um, and it is the world will criticize a black person so much faster. They have to be oh, yeah. unimpeachable. They yeah. have to be twice as good, twice as clean, twice as smart to get half as far. Well, and it's a huge um, the like black beauty standards standards are a huge part of their culture. Your hair care and your skin care is my mother has never done my hair like maybe once she curled Mm. it for like a family photo when i was a little girl but other than that like 
and making sure we didn't have lice. I can remember my mom like lice combing us. Yeah. But that's it. Like that was not right. part of my childhood. My mom didn't braid my hair or teach me how to put on makeup or anything like that mm-hmm. because we'd never had to. Yeah. Yeah. So different um, health and beauty standards are yeah really interesting. Anyway, I will uh, get off my soapbox about bathing. There's more to say, but maybe another. There's time. more to say about the fur trade too. I'll probably work it in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she's very interested in learning how to swim. She asks Quanto about the lily water lily roots, um, and and he says that they are dried and pounded into a powder that heals stiffness of joints as well as stomach aches. And I aspirin. I bet that's true. Yeah, no, that's, (laughs) yep, water lilies and birch um, are used, and Native Americans were using those as medicines very effectively uh, well before colonization, uh, which is one of the inaccuracies that people think Native Americans didn't have medicine uh, yeah. that was good or they or think that it's all like vibes yeah yeah <laughs> it's not whereas a lot of the medicine that Native Americans produced specifically aspirin yeah um, they would make a stewed bark of birch bark uh, yeah. stewed tea rather of birch bark yeah and it would really do a lot I mean aspirin for mm. taking out fevers and swelling is a drug that we still use it's like the first line of defense today yeah yeah I think uh, the reason why I I snagged on the crunchy to cult pipeline is because I think crunchy people would be much more likely to be like to misunderstand indigenous like healing practices and be like yeah we just need to do a you know a healing dance circle like right. thing, which is <laughs> my my crunchy problem is uh with people who don't vaccinate there is a oh, yeah. pipeline of people who don't believe in science because they believe that like our body doesn't need any help meanwhile they all wear glasses i'm just saying uh, uh this but a whole yeah yeah no well i mean vaccination <laughs> saved my life while i was everyone in the COVID get vaccinated coma. um please get vaccinated for everything trust really. your trust scientists hmm. um so she is spying on the native americans here in september uh and she's discovered by squanto who then introduces her um and uh she's she's able to share with some of the kids the things that she's wearing uh people she takes off her apron and shares it um they are obsessed with her hair Mm -hmm. uh, which is very different uh so she learned a lot i learned that because they've already heard the locusts singing the time of frost be near september Mm -hmm. in new england we certainly know it's going to get cold soon yeah Uh, so that's one of the ways that these people who typically didn't have calendars you know listen to nature to tell them where they should be and when Mm -hmm. Uh, i learned that they call the insects little people which i find most dear i learned that these months august and september which they call moons uh, which means a time where the corn can be eaten that is certainly when corn becomes ripe i have learned so many new words but this day was indeed my happiest ever in the new world and in some ways i feel it to be my first day here that's cool good for you Oh, I wish the rest of American history could have been this uh, curious, but not judgmental. Um, So September 16th, she gets some momentous news. The men are preparing to go on an expedition to the north where the Massachusetts Indians live and father prepares to go with them. Tonight, father came to me. I think I know I knew what he was going to say before he said it. He asked how I would like to have Hannah Potts be my stepmother and his wife. 
I simply did not know what to answer, my feelings being so stirred up. But finally, I blurted out and said, but she be so quiet, father. <laughs> I, it seems so lame, but it was all I could think of. And he said that maybe we could help her out of her quietness. And I knew that there was so some unspoken part to what he had said. I think it be that she could help my father. Um, but I spoke no more. I, but we spoke no more on it. I know that it's difficult. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just wondering, I don't, this might be a slight anachronism, because I don't know when the, the word lame was a euphemism for... Um, Feeble. Yeah. I, I Like, it makes sense, but yes. I, I was like, was that a, did they use it back then? Maybe they did. I, I think they did. I Well, I don't know. I mean, certainly the term feeble existed. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Interesting. Yeah. Lame was certainly a word we grew up with, right? Yeah, like, I mean, was big I have in 90s culture. I have very 90s connotations. So it's yeah. like, oh, that's so, so lame. Which is probably a totally terrible lame. thing to say, but... <laughs> it is definitely ableist. Yeah, for sure. Speaking as somebody wearing leg braces. <laughs> um, anyway, um, maybe I'll get used to her and her quietness, or maybe she'll become more noisy. But the fact of the matter is that she doesn't say tisk tisk anymore. So that's pretty nice. We just have nice things to say about Hannah, and I like her. Yeah, I like her too. But here, I could just spit at Miss... This is September 21st, page 150. I could just spit at Mistress Billington. Do you know what she said with an earshot of Hannah Potts? She said that the only reason my father be drawn to Mistress Potts is for her fine feather mattress that she owns. It is the only real mattress in the settlement and is filled with down as Mistress Potts's father was a fowler in Leyden and did keep many geese. Well, it was the meanest thing I ever did hear and poor Hannah, her eyes filled with tears and I thought she was like to break out crying right then on the spot. So I said to Mistress Billington, mind your tongue. My father is pleased by Mistress Potts because she has comely ways and is dear with blessing and she makes a nice pudding. <laughs> what more do you need? Well, it That's says a lot material about... right there. Right, 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 right. Not only is she pretty and good with kids, she makes a nice cake. Yeah. I mean that's that's like a fully accomplished. Unlike woman yourself, right there. she's quiet and elegant in manner. Unlike yourself, and then I just took hold of Hannah's hand, gave her a yank, oh, and we stomped off. This is so cute. I know. I love this, and it's a great narrative device to make our main character um, suddenly have stakes to like care about this person. Like yes. she gets to stand up for her, and yes. I think that's very smart. And, and it also it. feels very realistic. Mm-hmm. Like you don't care about someone until you're allowed to, to talk like, crap mm-hmm. about my sister is me. Absolutely. Right. Like if I, I love my sister, we make each other insane. Yeah. Um, I, I have a special talent for antagonizing Maggie. <laughs> like genuinely it's a gift. You and sometimes I don't even know I'm doing it. Mm. Sometimes you do. <laughs> sometimes I absolutely. Whew. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, giving her some stakes um, in seeing Hannah Potts, uh, come over, um, so that we could listen to the fire and hear oh, father's no, stories. No, you gotta, you gotta start from the beginning from that. It oh, says, go ahead. Father returned last night, and to tell you the truth, I have never seen Hannah Potts so animated. She brought her stool over to our house so we could listen by the fire to his stories. It is so cute. I love it. My love, love. I also love the stools. The she stools. and her stepmother side by I'm side. I'm gonna bring my stool. Yeah, and. Um, this was all a very nice evening as she's listed. This is on page 152. Mm-hmm. Blessing me, Father and Hannah sat close to the fire. Hannah and I were on our stools. And when Blessing whined for a turn to sit, Father said, no blessing. The stools are for the ladies. Ugh. She's growing up. She's a lady now. The stools are for the ladies. 
cute, right? It is cute. Also, like, you need to build some more furniture, maybe. <laughs> but it'll come. So Father and Hannah Potts get married on October 4th, uh, 1621. Yeah. Governor Bradford read the service in the large room of the fort. This is where we now have all of our meetings. Meetings were church services. Yeah. Whether they be for making peace treaties with the Indians or worshiping our Lord. It was a very simple wedding. No high merriment or garland of flowers. No, Love. I feel like that would be considered too... Too pagan. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Showing happiness and and love on a wedding? Forget about it. Um, She does make Mistress Potts a bouquet, Mm. uh, a circle of, or I guess it's a circle of birch leaves and rosemary for the bride's head. Cute. Um, (laughs) I love a flower crown. Yes. And there was tansy available for it, but I could not bring myself to Mm. wreathe yellow into this wreath. Uh, it reminded her... me too much of mother. Yes, 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 ma'am. Every time I you won't. say mom or mother, I I'm just, just, just know that she's misreading it on purpose. Anyway, so they come together and they get married. She is still quiet as a stone, and it was all she could do to answer Governor Bradford with "I will" during the ceremony. I mean, yeah, probably a lot of feelings happening for Hannah Potts on this day. Um. So as we get into October. Uh, we are coming across a very important part in not only the time of these Mayflower settlers, but also American history and mythology. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are getting to a point uh, where we are gathering the fruits of our labors. This was discussed October 11th. Um, well, I think it's it's fun to notice on October 10th, she starts talking about the harvest. And I believe October 10th is Canadian Thanksgiving. Oh, so, ah, just say, I'll be gosh darned. Yeah. Anyway, that's all. Did you see how clean I was right there? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I did. Uh, so we're getting ready for the first Thanksgiving, and uh, she does go into some really wonderful details. Um, Squanto is to invite the Masoit and his people. I'm sorry, to invite, sorry, Masoit is his name, not the people's name. Mm. Uh, we shall have feasting and entertainments. Four men have already been sent out to get fowl, uh, specifically one type of fowl. Turkey. Oh, no. Um, And uh, to hunt deer, my father sent with John Alden and masters Winslow and Billington are sent into the shallop to catch bass and cod and perhaps some eels. Governor Bradford dispatches men with all the skills of Miles Standish drilling and ordering his militia about. I think the truth is the genius of William Bradford. He can plan celebrations with as much cunning as he could make laws or treaties or compacts. I think this takes a special kind of mind, I do believe. Mm. Uh, so now we are getting up um, yeah, and they're just cooking and cooking and cooking yeah the, the, the Thanksgiving festivities take place over three days in mid-October and as always uh, every holiday's magic is produced by women yeah uh, and she doesn't know what to call Mistress Potts she's I think a lot of people struggle with what to call their stepmoms. Yeah. Um, I, I think my favorite term that I've heard other people use for their stepmoms is a bonus mom. Mm-hmm. I think that's nice. Yeah, but like you're not going to call them bonus mom every no, single time. Oh, yeah, no, no, 100% they do. This is my bonus mom, Sharon. No, when you're introducing them, like, yeah, this is my bonus mom. But you're right. not like, hey, bonus mom. No, I, I mean, like, bet. literally sometimes. Well, okay. Okay. Sound off. Right. I, like Get I said, us. I don't have a stepmother, uh, but I, I like happy relationships. 
Um, and I, you know, there's a lot here um, talking about how the Native Americans celebrated with them uh, based on real historical facts. This is not just mythology that yes. was handed to us by, you know, William Wadsworth Longfellow. Yeah, I do think that's important to, to like, not everything about the first Thanksgiving is uh, made up. Right. It's Turkey's been, real. It has been hugely mythologized, but I, I think this is a good reminder that, like, it didn't come from nowhere. Mm-hmm. It just wasn't necessarily the thing that we make pageants about. Right. Um, uh, they, they, the pilgrims did c- celebrate days of Thanksgiving um, on multiple occasions whenever it called for it. Not just like, it wasn't like, this is our fall holiday, but it was like, hey, it's we've had some good times. So yeah. let's say thanks. <laughs> let's, well, and I think religiously giving thanks is important. Yeah. Um, one of the things that was important to my family was to not only ask God for things, but to thank God for things. Yeah. Um, so she's writing October 17th of the Indians who do a wonderful and haunting dance at our festivities. And, uh, you know, she discusses that in earnest. Uh, and then the next time we hear from her is November 6th. Yeah. Just a little chunk there. Oh, yep. Mm-hmm. That's Dear a- Imp, I finally awoke. And when I did, I hardly knew what had become of me. But dear Imp, you and I nearly parted company. Indeed, indeed, I nearly parted company with everything and everybody on earth. I have apparently lain at death's doorway for almost three weeks. My recollection was wondering if I felt well enough to go to the jigging match. Uh, I would not have known that had I not read this page, had I not written... De- Jesus... The grammar is different. It's hard to read. <laughs> uh, yes, and also I had a stroke. Yeah. So anyway, I struggle reading it out loud, too. Well, and this passage was kind of hard for me. I really sped up for mm-hmm. this part because yeah. I just came out of a coma a year ago. Yeah. And she was kind of in a coma. And there was like a lot of things that we You're shared like, here. Hmm, interesting. Okay. Uh, this <laughs> one kind of sprung on me. Wasn't expecting to be mildly traumatized today. Mm-hmm. By uh, a children's book. Yeah. Right. This book, again, quiche, man. Quiche. Heavy, but light on the tongue. Uh, So she discovers that she's been laying here for three weeks and that Hannah has barely left her side. Um, She's been nursed. She'd been bled by the doctor. Squanto came and gave me teas made with the powder of the lily roots that that I saw the children diving for. That's probably what saved me. I mean... Did more good than... A lot of other things do. Right. Um, I'm so weak, I cannot even open my eyes. Ooh, familiar. Uh, I would often, when you, you know, on TV, they describe coming out of a coma as, boom, you're out now. Oh, oh yeah. everybody, I'm back. No. Uh, it's not like that at all. It's like a three, four day process where you're mm. in and out, in and out. I don't think you saw me then. No. No, I didn't. You didn't see me till you, Mary Freebed, right? Yeah. Yeah. No. You were at Blodgett. Oh, you you came to Blodgett? Yeah, but you okay. were like But I couldn't even fully, sit up. Yeah. No, yeah. No, I was completely horizontal when Jen came to see me. So um, the thing, one of the things that um, Mem is touching on here is that for every one day that you are not moving, right, mm-hmm. you're just laid out flat, your muscles atrophy quite quickly, especially if you're not taking in a whole lot of nutrients. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at that point in time, I was being fed through my nose. Yeah. I was just getting liquid nutrients. I lost 50 pounds in the course of 14 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I almost died. Mm-hmm. That was death number three for those keeping track at home. <laughs> um, so anyways, um, 
for every one day you spend in a hospital, it takes about seven days to recuperate your muscles. Um, that's one of the reasons that I still struggle with walking and sitting upright today mm. uh, is because I spent, gosh, close to a month flat on my back, not able to move. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mem is dealing with a lot of that too. But thank God for Hannah Potts, who is pulling her through it and has put her feather mattress underneath them and her down coverlet over me to keep me warm. Oh. Stepmoms. I know. Bonus moms. So, um, God bless a bonus mom. I hope you have a good relationship with yours. Man, if, like, yeah, for, you know, parents, step-parents who really do invest in it, show up for their stepchildren, like, that's that's a great thing that you can do and you, everyone should try to do that because it can mean a lot. So we're starting to move again. I walk today. I walked tomorrow. I hope to walk further. That's a for real, mm-hmm. for real thing. Yeah. Um, we've decided to walk to a hill where I saw the Mayflower leave with Hummy. Um, for now, as then, I would prefer to watch it all from a grand distance. I know that she, the the Mayflower is coming back, and Hummy might be on it. Yeah. So we're going to walk to that place, and hopefully, our best friend is coming back to us. Um, the ship has been spotted on the horizon. This is November 10th, so 1621. This is basically a year after the Mayflower first arrived uh, yeah. on Cape Cod. And what a year it's been. Right? <laughs> I'm going to the hill. I think I'm strong enough, but I shall have to sneak out of the house to do it. They shall soon be going to a meeting in the fort to discuss matters concerning the new arrivals. I shall leave then, and I shall take you with me. So later that same day... Dear Imp, I have made it. It took me forever and every breath of wind that I had, uh, every breath of wind. My legs do feel like jelly, even though I brought Father's Ealing staff with me. Uh, a chill wind blows, but I'm bundled well. I now sit in the exact spot I did eight long months ago. Imagine being like away from your best friend for eight months and having very little else mm-hmm. and like no way to communicate and, like, with them. So much, so much death and your own near right. death. And right. There's a lot. Like, there's a lot going on um, for a 12 year old. Yeah. Well, 13 now, 13 I think. Now. Yeah. Um, there's much to hope for beyond it. For even beyond friends, however, I can hope that perhaps a new baby will come into our lives, and maybe not too soon, for Hannah and I have plans for our garden next year. Like, Hannah, I want you to get pregnant, but could you time it so that you can help me? I love that, though, because that's her being like, but I want to hang out with Hannah first. Like, Uh, give me some time to plan our little garden. Let us be. That's nice. (laughs) I love it. All of that will require great strength and much energy, and even if the ship does not carry Hummy, it carries much that we need, more tools and things for building, so our little community will grow, and perhaps if there is enough of these things, Father says that we shall be able to add one small room to our house. So right now it's- Another a, room! It's one bed, the whole space, the whole cabin is one room one right room. now, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. And then they have a shed out back, as I recall. Yeah. Which I would like to- um, it, this, is, this is a great uh, supplemental viewing opportunity. There was a whole string of uh, reality shows made in the early 2000s. Yes. That were basically, the premise was live in 
history yeah and regency house regency house i watched all the manor house right amazing um, and uh, one of regency them, house has the interesting thing of also well, being that's also a, a dating game a dating game they're exactly. all on youtube look them up but the I pbs was, ones are not dating games no they're this just one like, was so they did one i can't remember what it was called it might have been like colonial house or something yes um but they did one simulating the plymouth colony basically and they got a bunch of families to sign up for this and they gave them they like set up this little village for them to live in uh gave them all the clothes and then gave them like ru- like roles in society so like some of the there was like a bunch of single people who were like servants and you know they had them study up on all the rules they had to live by and one of the big points in the show was that they were all living in these one room cottages and maybe they would have a loft and so you would have like you would still have like confessionals because this is still a reality show um but you would have like the parents being like so um it's been really hard to have um intimate time yeah because my children are sleeping like feet away from us every single day (laughs) and yeah that's a reality of living at this time that you don't have to think about so two of my favorite books from early kate reed life uh actually used that premise and wrote books about them Uh um one is actually age appropriate for our readers Mm -hmm. and listeners um to be clear we don't assume that all listeners are children but we we just just know that some of them might be right (laughs) uh i keep referencing nine-year-olds because jen's nine-year-old niece is listening i look at a picture of her before every uh recording so that i don't use the swear words but don't feel bad if you're an adult listening to this right absolutely (laughs) there's a lot of content here um so one of the books this is definitely for adults uh is called the corset diaries by katie McAllister. um, it's also um, a like a small fat um, point of view character, mm-hmm. and like her fatness comes into it. So mm-hmm. if you enjoy reading stories where the fat chick gets the guy, the corset dyers, Katie nice. McAllister. Okay, we are at. She's talking about her hopes for the future and reflecting on her final year. And we final turn year. the page. That makes it sound like she's her previous year. Her previous year. She's Thank not you. dying. Right. Uh, we turn the page and the book's over. Yeah. It was so abrupt and I did not see that coming at all. Well, it's a little abrupt, but it, there is also some signaling that she's like been reflecting on, you know, what's happened in the past year right. and like growth. Yeah. Things that have changed and, and she's excited for the future and excited to maybe see Hummy. And then, yeah, it just, it kind of ends with that note of like, what's going to happen next. I Which Kate didn't like. Haven't like. I haven't liked yet, <laughs> but I I kind of wonder if there's like fan fiction out there that like continues her story because I think she's a great character. She's well written. Yeah. Um. In the epilogue, we do get a little taste of what happened to this her. This is also funny because you were texting me as you were finishing reading this, and I had already read it, and and you're like, this ends so abruptly what happens and and then you made it clear that you had like read the historical note yep. and you're like but what happens to hummy what happens to mem what and I was happened like, is did i did this and i was like yeah good historical note missed, and i totally skipped the epilogue missed the epilogue and i was like i don't have entire, to be smart i'm pretty there's an entire epilogue for this uh yeah so uh it starts many of her members hopes and dreams came true others did not she never again saw her dear friend humility sawyer Boo. and mem mems and hannah's plans for peas and a bigger garden did not succeed 
uh, nor did the dreams of abundant crops come true for the rest of the settlement. Um, So, yeah, it gets to some interesting points where, like, yeah, sometimes, tragically, you never see your best friend again. Um, And it goes on to say that she, you know, gets older and, and gets married and moves to Boston, which was founded in 1630. Um she oh she marries at uh age 19 so like not totally appropriate criminally young but still by today's standards very young (laughs) yes so uh, and she has two twin girls who she names humility and grace uh which i think grace is her her mother's name name. Yeah, yeah grace island yes yes oh yeah that's another thing yeah they mentioned that they name an island grace after her mother passed yeah 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 um but on the whole, I think it is very satisfying to an extent. Um, so this is me and my husband's one of our big pet peeves with science fiction. I find this and I don't want to in case we ever interview the author, I don't want to be like, this is lazy. But you can have an opinion. Ooh. This isn't an HBO after show podcast where we have to say only nice things. Right. Uh, so I I think and I. I I also think this is a YA book, and if it were, say, the length of A Clash of Kings, the mm-hmm. author would have time to explore yeah. the years between men being 12 and men being 19 mm-hmm. or later. Uh, and of course, we don't have that kind of time or the, you know, like you really can't expect that of the readers yeah. of this age group. Mm-hmm. So I think the abruptness makes sense. I also think that sometimes authors will build up to something build up to something oh you know hummy might be coming back we got to see what happened to hummy and her father and then they just end the book instead a lot of science fiction authors do this where like if you have ever seen the movie another earth no well this drunk girl whose life is a mess discovers another she doesn't really discover it everybody on earth discovers another earth in the sky and they send out a satellite and it turns out their culture is all our culture and that there is a replicant for every person here oh, is on the planet. And she becomes one of the people who can like go and meet her other self. Mm-hmm. And at the very last minute, she's confronted with this person and the movie ends. Oh, okay. Ah, see, I get annoyed with it. Uh, I feel like Lobster did this as well. The Lobster? I love that movie. Yeah. It's really bad and weird and very strange. <laughs> it. And it says a lot about relationships. But, um, uh, you know... Colin Farrell's character is about to stab out his own eyeball Mm. in a bathroom, right? He's got his uh, fork up to his eyeball, ready to stab it. And right before you find out whether or not he did it, they just stop the movie. Mm -hmm. I will also point to the movie Inception, another great science fiction film. Okay, see, now you're talking me out of agreeing with you because... I, th- I can see the point where it could be like lazy that you don't want to like get into like all the implications of like what happens next right because it would be too complicated and so you just leave it there but inception you have you you have you stand firm on inception I I stand for it with certain situations because the ambiguity creates more interest I think than just tying up every loose end maybe with inception you you're left thinking spoilers for inception but it's 20 years old or right. like something like that 12 um, at least 12 years old um 
it ends in a situation. What is the statute of limitations on spoilers? Um, th- this is definitely long enough, but it, it it ends with you wondering like, is this the real world or is he dreaming? And I think that's a much more interesting way to end it than him being like, and then he got to see his kids again. Isn't I do not great? enjoy ambiguity at all. I do not enjoy ambiguity. So That's because no. you like happy endings, and I like to be tortured emotionally. <laughs> Which I think is that's why cool. I like these books. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, tying back into the books. Um, yeah, this is the end of our first one. I think it kind of sets the tone for the series going forward, where it's like there's going to be a lot of heartbreak, a lot of struggle. Um, right. but these kids are going to deal with some very adult problems. Yeah. But it, I, I think that's true historically. Mm-hmm. Children didn't have the luxury of being children in the past. Oh, exactly. But I think it also sets kind of a hopeful, optimistic tone where they're looking towards the future of like, yeah, we've gone through a lot, but um, maybe things will get better. <laughs> Fools. It actually Fools. gets significantly worse. Oof. Oof. Uh, so that is the end of the book. We have one more episode. I'm so excited. Uh, which will follow uh, the structure of these books is that it always goes diary and then epilogue. And then it always ends with a historical note where it talks about the real history uh, behind the story and gives you some, uh, you know, examples of images and documents uh, to look at to give you a sense of what the real history is. And so with that in mind, we are, our next episode, we will be talking to an expert in this field Absolutely. and we're very excited we got a huge get for our first guest um do we want to say it now or do we want to just leave you hanging um giving the teaser at absolutely the end of this well we will be speaking with william nope <laughs> william bradford what a get we're whipping out our ouija board yeah <laughs> uh no we'll be speaking with tom begley of plymouth patuxent museums yes. uh, and archives mm-hmm. he is a person from there. He's the director of collections and special projects. You really internalized that. I really that. did. I'm super proud of you. Uh, uh, and I think that's fantastic. Uh, um, so, yeah, we're very excited to talk to Tom. Spoiler alert, we already did. And it went great. Yeah, he's marvelous. I got to say, this is, I think, really the crux of what our podcast is, is being able to access these museum professionals and mm-hmm. truly discuss with them these books uh tom is especially special because he has a special interest in children's literature he's especially special he is because he has a special interest that's right how many times could i work that in uh-huh. uh so uh we'll that give, will be our next episode that will be our next episode we don't want to give any more information because you have to come back and listen to that uh so we'll sign off for now uh remember if you have any uh diary entries you want to send to us or fun tales of these books or diaries kept in your youth uh, we would love to hear them and if you give consent to read them on the air uh, so you can find our email and contact information in the description below as well as our social media uh, handles uh, and yeah so we'll sign off it's been real it's been fun it's been real fun it's been real fun okay we'll come up with a more elegant sign off later bye <laughs>